robots in disguise. The evil Decepticons disguised as deadly jet planes have come to destroy Earth. Only the heroic Autobots can save us. Oh no! Evil spy cassettes too. This is a job for many Autobots. They're ingenious. They're incredible. They're the Transformers. Warrior robots in disguise from Hasbro. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Triple Takeover Toycast, the show that takes a look at the world of the Transformers along with, hopefully, other toy lines from the past. Your hosts, as always, are Transformers toy writer and photographer Maz from TF Square One. Hello. YouTuber, writer, photographer and a man with more followers than Andy Crane on Twitter, Sixo. Hello. Oh, and myself, I'm Toybox Hopebox, or as my mum calls me, Liam. Okay, on today's episode, we will be dancing to Electropop like a robot from 1984 as we travel back to the very first year of the Transformers toy lines. Yes, it's the Arctic Monkeys' favourite year, 1984. I can see Sixo trying not to laugh and now it's making me laugh. <laughs> I know, I was just listening to that intro and trying not to get the giggles, mate. That was yeah, <laughs> the intro game has just been escalated. <laughs> It's it's definitely going to be a, a one-upman type thing from here, one-upman ship, isn't it? So. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> it's you again next, Maz. Oh, great, yeah. <laughs> Better get thinking about it. All right. So how are you doing, dudes? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, thank you very much. All mic'd up and caught up with the 21st century this week. Okay, I can see your background isn't shaking. Have things calmed down a little bit on the volcanic front? Well, the eruption actually happened now, so we've got uh, one of the... Iceland's smallest ever recorded eruptions, which is a perfect tourist attraction at, at a time when you can't have tourists. Uh, but yeah, the earthquakes have stopped. So now it's just about trying to stem the flow of people to an active volcano. I did see some of the pictures. It did look a bit like a Mordor has risen there with the red skies. and the Yeah, red skies, lava flow that just sort of stops and people going up to it, lighting their cigarettes, you know, toasting marshmallows and hot dogs, all very Iceland. I was going to say, I did see something on the BBC News where somebody was talking about they were having like little barbecues outside. And the thought that popped in my head was you stood there with a little stick with marshmallows out your window. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, the thing is nowhere near anyone's home. But there's just lots of poisonous gas, which is the main concern at the moment. But uh, I haven't done the marshmallow thing yet. Cool, cool. Sixo, how about you? I'm all good, mate. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Shaved my hair off. But other than that, absolutely fine. I can tell you look very handsome. Look very cool. Thanks, mate. Appreciate uh, that. As we've all got matching microphones, we should all get matching haircuts, I believe. Yeah, you should You should both do it. It's very freeing. I saw this week you got um, the toy that me and Maz think is the toy of the year. What old uh, Studio Series Hot Rod, that one. Yeah. What, 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 mm. what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's good. It needs to be a bit pinker. It definitely needs to be pinker. Hashtag Hot Rod should be pink. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's good. It's a fun toy, definitely. It's not like shattered my... Uh, you know my my view on what great toys are or anything like that, but it's definitely a lot of fun. I do think. Uh, well, I don't know what we're going to do if they do actually eventually make a pink hot rod. Is that when we just sort of retire? What do you think? Is that that's when we just hang up? The, it, it, the, it would have to be a G one hot rod. Like uh, there was that Unicron dot uh, com interview. I, I don't know if you both saw it about about Unicron, the Unicron toy. Yeah. And they had the the designer chap from Hasbro on there. It was really really interesting. Lots of great stuff in it. But the, he did. They did briefly talk about Pink Hot Rod, um, and the the guy said, "Oh well, like never say never, you know, maybe we'll do it one day." Uh, and I was thinking, yeah, but 
it's cool if you do it and it's the studio series that's obviously great but it would be fantastic to do the g1 toy eventually i just i don't know it would make it would make pure moment of outrage when the guy said uh, most people won't want a pink hot rod it's like whoa 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 hang on hang on a minute (laughs) (laughs) yeah there were definitely at least three of us there that were watching that going no i would definitely like a pink hot rod thank you (laughs) let's record a podcast episode about our outrage (laughs) yeah That's it. Next podcast episode. Just Pink Hot Rod all the way, I think. Mm. But there was something in that interview. I did watch it that kind of, it made my heart jump a little moment as I was sort of skipping through it to find the Hot Rod bit. I saw the Superion gift set, gift set sort of popped up on the screen. And yeah. a part of me went, oh my God, are they reissuing that? And then it was it was nothing to do with that. And I just felt very sad all of a sudden. I like the way that you said you're just skipping to the Hot Rod bit. You know, Unicron, nonsense. When do they mention Pink Hot Rod? <laughs> well, I'm not getting him, so I don't want to be make myself more jealous by looking at these pictures of this amazing toy. Yeah, Fort Max first. Yeah, it's yeah. it's quite weird seeing uh, people's Unicron picks in hand now. Do you know what I mean? Like, obviously, it's turning up a lot in America. People are getting it. You know, a lot of people obviously uh, in Asia have it already. But it's just quite weird because for ages, for years now, it's been this kind of mythological thing do you know what i mean and and now suddenly people are getting it in hand and it's just like oh okay cool people have it now and it i don't know to me obviously it hasn't arrived yet so it's still got that kind of legendary status but i don't know it's very hard to kind of reconcile it actually being in people's bedrooms and what have you already is it going in that room that you're uh, displaying yeah. your collection in now it, it will be yeah absolutely I've, I've absolutely no idea where but it'll it'll have to fit in somewhere is it going to be your future co-host on the show then? We're just going to be able to see Could well it. be, couldn't it? Just kind of dominating the proceedings a little bit. So, uh, yeah, no, my, my boy is pretty excited about it already. He keeps calling it Unicorn, but uh, he's still very, very excited to see it, needless well, to say. W- watch one of those horns then. Yeah, <laughs> de- yeah, I know. That is a slight concern. Uh, but it, Plus, which he'll expect that I'm able to transform it in about like five seconds flat because that's just <laughs> got no patience for that, those kind of long transformations. But... Uh, I'm sure it'll be a lot of fun. We've talked enough about 2020 or 2021 toys. We should perhaps talk about 1984. Mm, where it all began. Where it all began. And I'm pretty sure that all of us were a bit too young to actually remember 1984. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think 84, I have some lingering memories of the cartoon towards the end of the year it might have been. But I think most likely my memories uh, are from 1985. Yeah, I was I was too young for eighty four. I would have I would have come in after that. Uh, I would have been two in eighty four, so it was you know, definitely too young. Uh, hence, why I think most of my kind of childhood love for Transformers is a lot of the later toys. But then I did have some of the eighty four toys when they came out in in the nineties. You know, in in Gold Box in yeah. Europe, uh, and then of course, you know, it, it's inevitable, really, isn't it? That if you're going to get into G one Transformers, you're going to explore these toys at some point. It's just kind of a staple. But it's interesting, like, you would have experienced those early 84 toys after you had, you know, grown up with what may be your Transformers, the post-movie kind of era. And it'd be interesting to know, like, how you reacted to a very different aesthetic and style of toy design. I do remember it feeling different because, obviously, although I wasn't around in 84 for the actual you know it wasn't buying them at the time or whatever um i did have obviously friends at school and whatever else so it wasn't like i was unfamiliar with them i mean i remember distinctly remember uh you know kids at school having uh various 84 toys uh, particularly 85 actually i would say 85 more but certainly a couple of the 84 examples like i remember some kid at school had a prowl 
which was probably from 85 actually in Europe. Do you know what I mean? Because it wasn't actually released in Europe until 85, bizarrely. Uh, but we, we had it in the UK in 1984. Did we? I thought it was 84, 85. I saw someone mention that recently and I, and I did check with Paul as well, but I'm pretty sure we had it in 1984. Uh, interesting. Okay, maybe it was then. I don't know. But certainly, uh, you know, there, there were and you know a couple of the jets and things like that. You know, there were examples that kids at school had, so I saw them. But yeah, they did feel super different because I was all like, hopped up on headmasters and whatever else at the time and then suddenly you've got these toys that are noticeably more fragile but they've also got metal in them and you know rubber tires and things like that so yeah it was a definite difference so yeah because me and you were born in the same year so for me it's also 85 and 86 but i do know i Mm. had transformers before that so i wonder what transformers we had maybe that we don't remember if like the earliest toys we had i yeah i'm always I got to be honest. I'm always amazed, and Maz, you're you're a good example of this. When people can uh, distinctly recall where they were, what day it was, what they were wearing when they got like childhood Transformers. Do you know what I mean? And, oh, and I got a story I, for you later. <laughs> I'm sure. Is it? Does it involve your, your nan by any chance? It <laughs> was just about spoilers. To say, spoiler grandma, grandma soapbox. There, yeah, she's. Uh, I'm sure she's going to get a mention at some point. She's getting royalties at this rate. Yeah, I'm sure she is. Uh, but, you know, it, it always surprises me because I remember, like, I can remember playing with some of the toys. And, like, for example, I can remember maybe, you know, being in my bedroom and having a particular toy. But I, I can't always very clearly remember, uh, you know, where I got them or, or who bought them or whatever else. I don't know. It's all a bit of a fog. Yeah, see, for me, I remember distinctly in the start of 1986 getting Thrust. I remember being given Thrust and I remember opening it and all that. But I in the memory, I also have a lot of Transformers that are already there. And I remember I had these Transformers. Yeah. I have no recollection of getting them. Like, there's Smokescreen and those sort of, the Autobot cars oh, and things like that. I just can't but... believe that you don't remember. I, I do remember every single Transformer I had as a kid. I mean, I, th- mm. I counted that I only had 26 throughout my childhood. Something like that number. And I do recall pretty much where every single one of them came from. There are a few foggy ones, but mostly I know who gave them to me. Not what I was wearing. But what? But you know where they came from. Yeah, well, I think in fairness, we're there. It's mostly because I was about two, so my memory doesn't doesn't quite stretch. Yeah, that, back that'll to that be it. Bit. Yeah, that'll, yeah, that'll do it. But then, but even later for me, I don't, I don't know, I I don't retain that information for whatever reason. And I've heard you talk quite passionately about it before, Maz. You know, like when you got this particular transformer and whatever else. I I just don't you know I, I, i'm trying to think of a specific example of a transformer and where i got it Dur- actually during childhood not in later years and i'd struggle to give you one have you ever vomited on one uh that's a very specific question <laughs> i don't <laughs> not that, that i can recollect who got so excited by scourge or something and he threw up on the box on the way back is that not the story wow. he tells that that was kit throwing up on thrust in <laughs> the back of there the we car. go that's, that, the that's story. what it was Wow. I don't yeah, know if it was through excitement, but he got thrust and then did a thrust. <laughs> a proje- he launched his own projectiles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's a level of excitement I don't recall, I have to say. Cool. And you're just not doing it right, are you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's clearly not a true fan. If you're not throwing up on your toys through sheer excitement. <laughs> I, I, I have, like, on, on repeat listens to these episodes while editing, uh, I have noticed that this subject of true fan comes along, and I just hope people are taking notes every episode of what we categorize as true what, fans what makes a true fan yeah, yeah must it, throw up on your toys yeah that, that's <laughs> this episode's uh, lesson definitely must demand definitely. a pink hot rod yeah and, and must complain about 
Uh, I can't remember what it was. There was a certain complaint that you must make, and that was in episode one. So I hope someone's keeping track. We now return to the Transformers. Okay, so the story of our love for Transformers begins a little bit later than 84, but the actual story of the Transformers begins in 1983. So there's some Hasbro employees at a Tokyo Toy Fair. Is that right, Maz? Yeah, I believe it was summer 1983. So, And you can actually see videos of this on YouTube, can't you? Yep, and that is it's really something, isn't it? Just uh, looking at those displays of Diaclone toys, Microman toys, you know, all sorts of other transforming robot toys from Bandai and uh, Takatoku, and yeah, it's just a really, really cool display. And you know, me being the hyper variant nerd I am, got really annoyed that in some scenes it's black and white. I was like, oh, which color version is that? You know, <laughs> which one have they got on display? But I'm pretty sure there was a really nifty-looking Wheeljack prototype or, you know, Diaclone Lancia prototype on one of those uh, turntables uh, quite early on in that video. Uh, you see, when I was re-watching it last night, I saw that, and I thought of you instantly. I was waiting for you. I was like, oh, he's going to pick this out, isn't he? Oh, there's some gold in that stuff, you know, real gold. Even, like, after the Transformers and... Uh, sorry, even after the Diaclone and Microman bit, there's got this little uh, segment I didn't see before on Turbo Magnum. It's this little car with... Uh, with the attached controller, and then they send it flying through those hoops. Uh, not hoops, sorry, the long tubes. And that's a car that actually, I think that's the main thing Hasbro wanted to license from Takara originally, the Turbo Magnum. And that's that always, right? yeah, it's been released by Takara. It's been released by Seiji Giustra in Europe. It was released by, by Jig in Italy. And uh, I actually got one of those from an ex-Hasbro employee. It was the Japanese release, and it was someone who was selling a bunch of Transformers prototypes and you know Diaclone samples and Microman samples. They actually had a boxed Turbo Magnum. So, And I think George Dunsey, who used to work for Hasbro, was talking about the original licensing agreement was meant to be for this like little remote control car. I've always thought that must have been the toy they were talking about. And it was really funny to see it in that video. I completely missed it the first time through. It's it's interesting, isn't it, when you, you hear this stuff and you kind of, you know, there are stories floating around and then you see something like that video that just kind of pulls it all together somehow and just kind of makes it much more real. Absolutely. So, yeah, so there's this this toy fair, it's not like how we think of SDCC or TF Nation now, is it? This is very much purely for industry, isn't it, for companies yeah, to go. Yeah. I suppose. Even though we do see in that video there is a small, very lucky child there picking up the Macross toys. But it is, that's largely what it's for. And that's why Hasbro are there. But it's not just Hasbro, is it? It's like like you touched on a minute ago. There's like CG. Is that right? Yeah, Seiji Justra were there and, and made an agreement with, with Takara as well as a result of what was at that show. Well, I was going to say, I think that to me is actually what's really interesting about the Hasbro line originally was that actually it was just one of multiple licenses from Takara. It wasn't like, I suppose now it, there's a tendency to think of Hasbro as transformers you know and that's what it is but actually this these were you know takara toys that were given to multiple companies uh you know jig as you said as well and uh you know and actually obviously they would takara were also putting out their own toys weren't they in europe and 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 in america uh you know under what was it chronoform and diachron and whatever else i mean that you know was 1983 but um but i just find that fascinating that actually you you tend to think of transformers as like this sudden smash and of course it was but actually it's not just hasbro it was done by multiple other you know uh, manufacturers and whatever as well yeah and that's exactly that's exactly it so it's as much as we talk about these toys like it's the first time we saw them it's not in europe is it because several of these toys they are released by different companies sort of Mm. your your optimus prime not as optimus prime mirage all of these toys they do show up don't they so 
we had experience of Japanese toy robots before the Transformers. Yeah, and even in Italy, they were getting the earlier Diaclone toys, you know, the ones that were mm. from 1980, those sci-fi space robots kind of thing. They, you know, they have a, a rich history of Japanese robots being released in Italy. There's a lot of desire for them there. And it's quite funny that a lot of the Diaclone Microman collectors I've met in Italy, uh, they didn't have an interest in Transformers. That was not where their original interest in these toys came from. And they also have a lot of bootlegs that you don't see in, in a number of other countries. Yeah, so... can. We're going to do an episode this on, on this eventually, but can we just quickly talk about what Diaclone was and how it does relate to Transformers? So uh, Diaclone and Microman were Takara toy lines. Uh, Diaclone was from 1980. Microman is from the 70s. It comes from Henshin Cyborg when that was shrunk down to sort of like four-inch size. Uh, Microman and then Microman came back as new Microman in 1980, kind of alongside Diaclone. And uh, yeah, I mean, these have really clear origins as, that go f- as far back as G.I. Joe and stuff. But like you say, we can get into that on the pre-Transformers yeah. episode. But yeah, Takara had uh, a car robot line, uh, a real and robo line. With, it had contained things like construction vehicles, uh, jets, tanks, lots of cars in the car robo line. They even had train robo as well. And uh, they had MicroChange, which was a one-to-one scale everyday objects like... You know, guns, guns, <laughs> <laughs> household items yeah, like, like, in America. Uh, yeah, like lock, stock, silencer, thirty eight, just hanging on the wall. Toy cars, uh, flashlight that never got released. There's binoculars. There's little padlocks. There's watches. Walkmans. Walkman. Uh, yes, Soundwave, of course. The Ghetto Blaster, the the AM radio, which became Blaster. So they had one to one scale items and. I was just watching the Toys That Made Us episode on this again recently, and it, it's amazing to see those designers talk about these toys and how, you know, after we had the people from Hasbro who saw them at the 1983 Tokyo Toy Fair, Tokyo Toy Show, and uh, decided to bring them to, to the West and obviously brand those toys. So 1984's toy line has got a fair number of Diaclone molds in it and also MicroChange series molds in them. I think it's it's interesting to me always how microchange kind of gets forgotten about a little bit. Yeah. You know, because when people talk about it, they're like, "Oh, it's all Diaclone, yeah. Diaclone, Soundwave, Diaclone, Megatron." You yeah, hear these phrases. You, you, you really do. And um, but then I think it's also, I mean, it's not eighty four, but it's also interesting to see that stuff like the constructor cons, which feels so different to like the car robots and whatever, that they are also you know Diaclone and you know a lot of stuff like um, the jump starters and whatever as well. But it's it's really uh, power, inter- power dashes as well. Which is which yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, yeah. earlier than those car robots, definitely. But I do, I do think that micro change gets a bit of a, you know, bit of a, a bum deal in a funny way because it's people just kind of forget that it was even a thing. Um, and I also find it fascinating. I know we, I think we mentioned it in a previous episode. You know about the mini bots being mm. intended as as toy, toy cars, cars. You know, the, yeah, based on uh, penny races. Yeah, I think in some ways I find. Obviously, Diaclone is fascinating. I find MicroChange, if anything, a bit more interesting in some ways, just because of how they took, you know, it's one thing to take a toy car, uh, you know, as in like, like a Jazz or a Sunstreaker or something like that, and make it work in a line like Transformers. But to take, you know, Brawn and Bumblebee and those ones, but then to take Megatron, Soundwave, uh, you know, those really kind of unusual household items and make those work as sentient robots, I think that's... For me, that's always been the one that sort of fascinated me a little bit more. 
And, and you do get people who are um, clearly one side or the other. You know, they do tend to enjoy one element of the original Transformers line, like Micro Change yeah. versus Diaclone. And I always tended very strongly towards Diaclone. I, I look back at my childhood toys and I realized um, Hubcap was the only Micro Change related toy I ever owned as a child. Virtually everything else was Diaclone. It was all the cars, it was the jets. I didn't have any of those gadgets. I didn't have a Soundwave or Megatron or Blaster or anything like that. I'm trying to think now, actually. I don't think... I had Bumblebee as a kid. Oh, you had Um, so many Transformers. How could you possibly remember them all, (laughs) you were just saying? Well, exactly. How how could I possibly keep a list, a mental list, of the absolute, you know, mountains of of Transformers toys I had? Uh, That's the collection behind you right now, isn't it? It's your childhood collection. mm, Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but no, I, 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 I think like like you, I didn't have a lot of um, microchange stuff. But obviously, we didn't get Megatron in the UK, so that you know that obviously put paid to that. Uh, Soundwave, I didn't get till I was a teenager. No reflector either. No reflector, no reflector. Um, but that didn't come out till later anyway. But um, yeah, With Megatron. So did we I, not get Megatron slightly later. I thought we did get Megatron because I remember seeing in, one. But this was in the very late eighties. I saw one in a shop. Actually, hang on. I think you're right. I think uh, maybe when later. I asked Paul, did we get Prowl in 1984? He said, no, we got everything in 1984 that you know typically we get in the UK, but Megatron came later. So I think, yeah. yes, because I, I remember a kid had Megatron too. Yeah, in the tra- Transformers Marvel comic, isn't it? Someone sent in a letter asking why they couldn't get Megatron, and they said it was coming to shelves later. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it definitely pops up later, because I do remember there was another kid at Does, school yeah. had it, and I saw it in a shop. But when I saw it in the shop, it must have been like 88, 89. And it was the only time I ever saw it. Megatron is such a weird one now, isn't it? Just, I don't know, I, I guess having, you know, kids myself and, and whatever, and just thinking about giving that to a small child, it's, I don't know, maybe maybe it's because guns are not a thing in the UK now and haven't been since we were little or whatever, I don't know, but it's just, it, it would just seem mad to me now <laughs> to give that to a small child and be like, hey, here you go. And, it's, but, it's very- you know, of its time, isn't it? Like you're yeah. saying there with guns. Back then, our sort of culture, it was very dominated by Vietnam War stuff. So you sort of had sort of G.I. Joe, and that's the sort of toys. That's what they were sort of based on, weren't they? Everything was war-based. Yeah. And so we had toy guns. You could sh- shoot them, and you know everything was based on that. Whereas now, it's a very different sort of, I don't know, very different sort of society almost in that sense. We've sort of moved on. And like you were saying there about, like with your son, you probably wouldn't let him play with guns in the same way we did. No, it, it's just, it feels like you say very of its time, like another era. I, I recently, randomly, we were looking at some family you know, photos and stuff, and there was a picture of me from when I was probably five, I don't know, six. And I have um, what looks to be like a toy machine gun. And it looks, you know, relatively realistic and whatever else. It's the right color. And I kind of remember it, actually, funnily in my head, the noise it made and whatever. It had like a kind of rattle to it. And um that to me it really surprised me just looking at it i was like wow i I just i can't imagine a toy like that now even if it was like luminous yellow or like you know whatever just to kind of make it so obvious that it's a toy it's just not something that in this country anyway that you really kind of see much anymore outside of like water pistols and whatever else i was just thinking of the example of water pistols actually i don't even see those very much you know not much no i don't think anyone i know has bought a water pistol for their kids not not here at least no, it's it, it has kind of definitely kind of died off as a as a trend. I think anyway. I'm sure, you know, maybe there is a kind of niche for it. I don't know, but it's not 
I mean, even then, you know, when we were kids, super soakers and all of that, it was prominent. It was a big yeah. thing. That's right. Yeah. Um, not so much now. Yeah. But most, almost every toy line, to some extent, was military based, wasn't it? It was every, every film, mm. every TV series, like it was all action films with guns and heroes and that sort of thing. Whereas things have changed now. And not to jump ahead when we're talking about Megatron, but this has kind of created a problem now, hasn't it? Because we don't see Megatron as a gun anymore. And he's kind of, he's always, he's sort of hopping around different alternate modes because Hasbro can't sell toy guns in America or here or anywhere other than Japan. Yeah, it is an interesting one. I, I mean, I, I, a lot of people, I think, I always find it kind of fascinating as well. A lot of people are down on the idea of Megatron being a gun. You know, he's the most powerful uh, Decepticon. He's the leader, you know, but he has to kind of transform into a weapon that needs to be held by someone else. Or, you know, why did the designer why is... was talking about that, wasn't he? He thought it yeah. was really strange that a small gun would go up against a truck in, in Hasbro's series. I remember that yeah. was the toys that made us as well. It's, I guess it's fascinating that that's the toy that they chose as the leader. I don't know. It's difficult to know from the range what, what else it could have been. And the thing is, yeah, it's true. There was even paperwork from the end of like Takara's Diaclone and Microman line where Powered Convoy, the Delta Magnus, you know, Diaclone colored Magnus is pitched against the Microman colored Megatron toy, the, the Black Walther P38. So even at that stage, there was a degree of pitching that toy as the leader of the bad guys against the Diaclone forces. But I don't think that had any impact on like Bob Budiansky's decision to call him Megatron or, or to make the villain. Yeah. I don't think that had an impact there. I, I guess, especially when you consider that toy's origins with the man from Uncle, do you know what I mean? And the fact that yeah. it was inspired by that show, which is actually a heroic show, you know, so it, although the gun is not sentient in that show in any way, you know, it's still a good guy gun, if that mm -hmm. sort of makes sense. So then that it, somehow becoming the main villain of the entire series is kind of fascinating to me. Uh, I mean, what else would you have chosen, though? You, you could have had Soundwave, but then it would have been equally kind of ridiculous to have a tape deck, I guess, as the, as the, the main bad guy. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think people are quite surprised when they first learned that the Constructicons were good guys in Diaclone, that mm. the Jets were good guys in Diaclone, Blitzwing was a good guy, you know, th their original toys were all heroic well, the only bad guys were the Insecticons, really, That's weren't correct. they? Yeah. See, for me with Megatron, it's it's when you sort of you weigh it up versus the toy versus the fiction. So from the fiction, it's how can a gun go up against a truck? As Sixo says, it doesn't really make sense. But when you think about the toy, there's, there's nothing more sort of, I don't know, kind of insidious that a person could actually own than a gun. Yeah. So sort of like a cassette player is just a cassette player, but for a person to have it, that carries a definitely. certain weight, doesn't it? And mm -hmm. I don't know. At that times, even though the cartoon was on, you still you don't have the internet, so it's you're still very much left to your own interpretation of a lot of these toys. And for me, seeing a gun, it was very very powerful because I know what guns are, what they can do, and a person having one. You know, living in Britain, we didn't have guns, did we? Like like in America, it's not the same. So it's still very sort of like a. Powerful well, a friend of mine gun. had a spud gun. <laughs> we all had those, didn't we? I remember a friend of mine had uh, his dad had a whole uh, room, like an office, huge office, going around to his house and seeing it, of replica guns. Um, and he and the dad used to say some of them are real. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but, you know, he's, he's, the dad Enjoy was kind time. of... <laughs> um, no, I, I remember we were messing around with one of them once and uh, with one of the replicas. Well, I don't know how old I was, very young. And, it, and the catch kind of went back and split my thumb open. Uh, and it, oh. it actually cut a load of the nerve endings in my thumb. It was really bad. Uh, and oh, I remember gosh. going in, yeah, it was the first time I remember going into shock 
Um, it's a really weird memory. It's just kind of popped into my brain. Uh, but yeah, properly in shock, and they they were they were quite concerned and everything about you know. But um, yeah, that was that was a weird memory, and I just I remember this room full of guns all over the wall. Um, uh, and then I remember when you know when the band came in and all of that, and obviously he had to get rid of them all. I, I remember you know my friends sort of saying that you know obviously his dad was not not too happy about it and what have you. But um, uh, does that mean that yeah. um, Megatron as a as a bad guy made complete sense to you as a kid then? Like a bad guy gun for, would have been completely yeah for me for me I, I definitely never questioned it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I never I never questioned it. The logic in the fiction. Uh, and as you say, Liam, you know, as a, as a toy, it never, I mean, I never had the toy as a kid, but it, it wouldn't have confused me at all. Um, you know, I think toy-wise, it's actually an interesting point, purely from a toy line perspective, putting the fiction to one side. It is a logical toy. It's the same size as Optimus Prime. You know, so in that regard, you know, they're very easily weighted. You know, it's not like in G2, where suddenly you've got this massive Megatron versus, uh, you know, the same Optimus Prime toy or anything like that. So it does kind of, it kind of gels. Um, you know, I mean, if they had of obviously in some, uh, you know, sort of fiction, what have you, they're, they're kind of touting Jetfire as the new leader and what have you in, in, you know, subsequent years. And that would have been weird as well, just the sort of size disparity. But I think Optimus and Megatron, those two toys, they do work really nicely alongside one another. Uh, but yeah, no, certainly I, I never had any kind of quibble about the idea of, oh, he's a gun and that doesn't make sense. I think as well, like with his, with his size, he plays very well into the sort of, you know, the robots in disguise aspect because he's a gun. He slots into a person's pocket and they're in amongst the crowd of people. You don't see it. Whereas yeah. a truck, you turn around, you're and right. it's there. And a tank, it's you're not going to get it down the road. Whereas, I don't know, there's yeah. a very different sort of vibe to a gun. And how they that did that. They did that really nicely in the comic. Actually, there's a couple of. I mean, it's it's brief and it's it's you know it's intermittent. But there are there are some scenes, some panels in the comic of him transforming and kind of you know slipping away with a human, you know, into a crowd or whatever. And to me, there's something quite sinister and menacing about that. That you know that he can become this small object uh, and just kind of disappear. So from there, so Hasbro do take these toys that they find at this toy fair and they license them and bring them back to america and instead of they don't take the diaclone fiction with them they send it to marvel to create their own so they come up with a comic and a cartoon and this is all very based around sort of that in america at the time they'd remove regulations around advertising to children hadn't they so we had this cartoon that's created that is literally just adverts for each toy isn't it so how important was that to you sixo as a kid how much did that drive what you bought yeah, so I, I think, you know, although it didn't necessarily influence it, you know, I did love the, the cartoon. I mean, obviously for us uh, growing up as kids, you know, it was all VHS tapes, wasn't it, in the UK? That was the thing. I mean, I, I don't recall uh, major bouts of, you know, watching the cartoon actually on, on telly at the time. But I do, you know, I did have a number of the, the I was going to say DVDs then. What am I on about? You know, the VHS tapes <laughs> and uh, watching them to death. You know, I remember vividly Saturday mornings, uh, you know, every Saturday morning, pretty much watching the the eighty six movie on VHS, for example, and and a, you know, number of episodes, Desertion of the Dinobots, Dinobot Island. So I think for me, it's very much the episodes that you had on tape were the ones, you know, the characters that were prominent in that. They were the ones, yeah. the characters that you really loved. But I was a big reader of the the comic as well, the the UK comic especially, um, which came out in late eighty four, I think, about September eighty four onwards. And, you know, I picked that up from fairly early on, not from the start, but certainly fairly early on. And that, I think, probably influenced me more in terms of 
the characters that I loved just because there were so many of them. And even, even funnily enough, in the comic, even if there was like one dude just got like a background scene or whatever, it was somehow more prominent than them just popping up randomly in the cartoon to me. Yeah, so for me, it was always the cartoon because I got the comic, but I couldn't quite reconcile it with the cartoon. And um, yeah. I was very lucky. Uh, my famous grandma, so she had cable and... I see that face. So she had cable and she had, it was like um, in those days, I don't know if you remember this, it was a box on the wall with a little dial that you turned around and it used to click like, oh. I can't remember I what it's called, that. but it was, it's, it's very old fashioned. But um, they had a channel called the children's channel and this used to just play from morning through night. It was always like the Transformers, I remember Star, that channel. Masters of the Universe, Mask, all of this. So that's really where I consumed the cartoon and all of those cartoons. And I, oh, I assume I this is probably more sort of 85, 86. Yeah, because they, I remember when I first got into Transformers, sort of into the fandom online, there were a lot of people who said that Series 2 didn't air in the UK. But I remember watching it on cable. So perhaps I was the only child who had that channel at that time. <laughs> but um, didn't, didn't we have DJ Cat as well? We did on Sky One. So DJ Cat. Yeah, I think Series 3 was aired on DJ Cat, actually. It was. That was on that's Sky One, isn't it? That was Correct. Right. And it had a, but that would have been like after 1990. God, I always wanted to be on DJ Cat because they used to do that game where someone would ring in and sort of guide a little person around a, a little maze <laughs> and win something. Do you remember never... when one person asked for DJ Cat's autograph and then everyone subsequently who called into that show wanted this puppet cat's autograph? <laughs> that, that's my lasting memory of it. No, I, I don't remember that. Did they, did they just get like a little paw print? <laughs> I don't know. I never called in. What were your experiences with the cartoon, Maz? Was it important to you in... Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was the only media I remember experiencing of Transformers as a child, and I remember Arrival from Cybertron, or what in the US is called More Than Meets the Eye, the pilot three-parter, was something that uh, we had recorded off the TV on VHS, but then I also owned the VHS as well, and I remember my mum actually hid it for a while because I was watching it so frequently, and so <laughs> it, it, it was then rationed after that, and I had uh, Megatron's Master Plan and Desertion of the Dinobots. And of course, the oh. 86 movie. And I remember in the early days of the fandom in, in the late 90s, well, my early days of the fandom anyway, that VHS tapes were gold dust. And if, you, if, if I would go to that collector store in Croydon, which I discovered in 1998, if that guy, Craig was his name, if he had a VHS in stock of an episode I hadn't seen, that was more important than getting a toy. So The Girl Who Loved Power Glide was one of the first episodes i watched beyond those few vhs that i had i remember seeing the key to vector sigma in a in a rental store and i, I desperately wanted that but was denied if only i'd had a grandma <laughs> like liam's could have seen it already on cable <laughs> <laughs> i've asked myself recently why i was one of the few uk uh children to not experience marvel comics and I was just thinking it's probably because, you know, I came from a different background, a different culture. We moved to the UK in 1982. I didn't know anyone at school who was reading comics. I mean, I don't even recall ever seeing anything beyond the odd Beano, which someone had brought to school. So I didn't even know there was a Transformers comic. And I'm pretty sure my parents wouldn't have been aware of that either. And neither would wow. my brother. And he was 11 years older. He was just into different things, mostly into tech. But, That's so crazy to me because at that time, like the comics were so not just Transformers, but all of those sort of comics were really sort of popular at school. There were lots of different, you know, people were into the Beano, but there were also every sort of brand. There was Mask, there was everything like that, sort of very brief. Never but. saw any of it. Wow. No, it was just the cartoon for me. And the cartoon, 
uh, the, my first hero in the cartoon was Starscream, and that's why I bought <laughs> that toy. That was my choice of first toy. And yeah, the cartoon the obsession was, begins. Well, yeah, and it was a very strong influence on the characters and toys that I wanted to collect as a kid. I think the cartoon was hugely influential in that. No, I mean that makes sense. There is, I mean, let's be clear that really is the the ultimate key to the success of Transformers, isn't it? You know, because as we kind of mentioned earlier, you know, Takara had tried to do this by themselves, you know, and, and put out a few of their toys, uh, you know, in the US and, and wherever else. And and really, it's not gone very well. And I think when you look at what's different with Transformers, it's the fiction, it's the it's the bios, it's the tech spec, it's all the Bob Budiansky work, and it's the it's the surrounding media. You know, it's the cartoon and the comic, and those things. Surely, I, it's got to be factual, not just opinion based. That that is the the ultimate difference that that kind of made it what it is. It's certainly the case with me that that's what made me notice the brand, and that's what made me want those toys even though the very first occasion i went to a toys r us to buy toys i was hanging around looking at the teddy ruxpin toys you know based on the cartoon and my yeah. mom just said to me and i remember this distinctly your brother and your cousin have already found the transformers i remember that like it was yesterday and then going over to the transformers aisle in toys r us in brent cross north london and uh, picking out starscream yeah, no, it's funny. I, I remember as a kid uh, going to a, a local Woolworths, uh, you know, near to my hometown uh, and kind of rounding the corner and seeing all of that kind of sunburst, you know, packaging, just all of the Transformers toys in a big aisle and whatever. And, uh, you know, it would have been like hearing choirs of angels in my head at the time. Oh! You know I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Very much like that. Maybe a little bit more angelic, but uh, you, you can work on it. But uh, it was... <laughs> Yeah, it was very palpable. And I do think, as you say, Maz, that, you know, the the comic and the cartoon were a big part of that, uh, just kind of creating that buzz and that excitement and that brand because there were other robot toys around and I just wasn't as fussed. It was it was Transformers all the way. I distinctly also remember going to play at my friend's house and he had more Transformers than I did, toys that I, I didn't own. And I remember this conversation we had a couple of times where I wanted to play as Transformers. So, you know, act out and, you know, run around the house and be Starscream and that sort of thing. But he wanted to play with the toys. And right. I think if the media hadn't had a big effect on me, I wouldn't have been quite that in, that way inclined. Uh, I went to school with a kid who had Unicron, believe it or not. Very <laughs> insistent. that we kid were... was at my school too. Yeah, we yeah, were never allowed to see it, funnily enough. We, he was insistent he had it. You know, it's, uh, it, was, it was his house, you know, couldn't bring it to school. And I remember once we, we went round to his house, a few of us, and uh, it was it was you know away somewhere, or his mum had put it in the cupboard, or I don't know whatever. But uh, we were never allowed to see it, funnily enough. But he de- he definitely had it for sure. And it's amazing how that stuff doesn't stop at childhood. I remember going to a Transformers show and talking to a dealer who was trying to convince me that he had a Transformers blue blue streak, and I, <laughs> I was asking him, "Oh, okay, so uh, what, what color are the legs on that one?" Then it was just like, "Oh, I don't know, it's sealed." <laughs> it's literally just trying to get out of this conversation. It, it was at it, that point that he, he yeah. realized he'd met his match. <laughs> <laughs> but he oh, picked the wrong person. Yeah, I've lied to the wrong nerd. <laughs> it said on his headstone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he discovered your blog after that and realized his mistake. I've lied to the wrong nerd. Brilliant. Line of the show comes in the first <laughs> half of the one. episode this week, folks. There you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely think that the cartoon and the comic were, were the secret of the success. And we've, we've already mentioned Budiansky a couple of times, but even the tech specs 
because it wasn't normal, was it, for toys to have those kind of those bios and whatever else. That was like quite a unique thing at the time. Oh, married to that kind of gimmickry as well, the red decoder spec, just yeah. irresistible. Like I was saying earlier, we don't have the internet and stuff like that, so it's a very different way to consume these toys. So we had the comics and the cartoon, but the bios on the back just give you this little snapshot of the character's personality, and it's everything you need for your own sort of imagination, isn't it? In a similar way to the mm. cartoon, would have one episode, but it would focus on very specific character traits. Like with Red Alerts, it's paranoia. So once you have your own Red Alert, you sort of jump off from the same sort of place. And it's very important for that. I think I think for me, this is why I always find it interesting that characters like Skywarp and Thundercracker are so prominent in people's minds when actually in the cartoon, there's not really any indication of their personalities or whatever, like brief snippets maybe, but it's I hints, think that comes from the pilot because yeah. they were quite prominent in the pilot. You remember Skywarp's teleportation scene stuck with my cousin which is very to the cool. point, which is why he bought Skywarp on that day I bought Starscream. And I remember their voices and their personalities, you know, just that sort of uh, grunt chatter in the in the Ruby Crystal Mines and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it's, it's, the, it's the tech specs on the boxes that filled in a lot of the blanks as well. Mm. So even though you didn't necessarily see them doing tons of stuff in the cartoon, you know, they weren't like the most prominent or fleshed out characters, the tech specs did a lot of that heavy lifting for you. So you could kind of watch the cartoon and feel that you knew them, even though they weren't getting, you know, kind of lots of character development or whatever else. And I think that, I can definitely remember feeling that there was more going on than actually there was on screen, if that makes sense. Yeah, I remember their uh, function names I, I recalled very distinctly, like words like uh, tracker and saboteur. I, I don't mm. think actually as a kid, and at that age, you know, I would have come to the UK at the age of two, but, you know, obviously was growing up in, in the UK. Words like saboteur were not things that I would hear regularly. So I was always fascinated by things that appeared on Transformers packaging that I'd never heard these words anywhere else before. It's a very simple and effective way, isn't it, as well, to get across what this character is about, really, isn't it? You sort of yeah. it gives you something to play with and jump off. Definitely, and I think you know it's it's been a template for Transformers ever since, uh, for sure. Uh, it's interesting you mentioned about the language there, Maz. I was just going to say, actually, I remember um, reading the comic again. I won't bang on about it, but just a lot of the vocabulary, the dialogue, all of that in the comic was. I wouldn't say you know advanced so much it's still a kids comic at the end of the day but it wasn't it didn't downplay to you at all do you know what I mean it, it definitely had a, a an eloquence to it a lot of time uh you know particularly some of the UK stuff do you know what I mean with Furman and whatever else but it 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 didn't talk down to kids I think and even the cartoon you know it's kind of obviously it has its goofy moments and whatever else but it still it treated all of this with a sense of almost gravitas in a funny way do you know what I mean which I think I certainly felt like there were real, um, this was a, a toy line that you could take seriously, you know, as a kid, you know, it had that kind of stake to it and whatever. And I think that's a big part of why it kind of captured my imagination. The Gravitas thing is is really is a really good point because that's sort of how the whole sort of product feels, doesn't it? Like when you see those boxes, you have that beautiful art on the front and the, the big battle scene on the back and there's, there's a yeah. sort of quality to it. Like the GoBots didn't have that. There was, <laughs> was nothing like that with those toys. But when you saw the Transformers, there's a certain quality to it isn't there you sort of see that on the shelf yeah no other yeah. toy line had that sort of effect on me i don't remember caring about the packaging of any other toy line i ever owned i didn't even wasn't even aware there were toy lines i just remember getting buses or cars or figures or of something but transformers was the first thing i ever wanted more of and realized that this was a collection of things it was a series 
with a cartoon attached to it. And, and it, that was the first occasion that I was aware of that sort of marketing and that sort of cohesive brand. Really? Definitely. Like, for me, the year before, I say not the year before, in sort of for me personally, I suppose, but it would have been Master of the Universe was the first thing I really got into. And they'd launched the year before and they'd kickstarted really, hadn't they, this cartoon as sort of an advert for a toy line. And so for me, that was the big one. And the packaging, whenever I saw that, even today, there's something even more nostalgic about that than the Transformers, that sort of exploding rocks out of a volcano, which is probably very pertinent to you at the minute, Maz, in Iceland with your volcano going off. Yeah, life here every day is pretty much He-Man. It is. He-Maz. Have you got Battlecat just wandering past your window as we we talk? Uh, Only Catilla. Close (laughs) enough. I was just going to say, I think for me, the I agree with what you're saying about the Transformers packaging, though, because the back of the box battles, I mean, I could stare at that for hours, genuinely, just kind of, I mean, sometimes trying to figure out who was who and, you know, who's that guy? Uh, and there was all of that kind of stuff. But even now, I find that there's a, a heavy, heavy dose of nostalgia with that stuff. And, and I just think that it realized, uh, you know, something about the toys in a way that actually even the cartoon and the comic didn't necessarily uh, and kind of really just created a lot of imagination for me. I, it was very exciting. So yeah, that packaging definitely brilliant. Just totally captured my imagination. I think also you talking about the artwork on the back and the artwork on the front uh, and thinking about the toys themselves and then seeing how they're represented on TV and, and maybe in your case in the comics. Uh, I don't know if this makes me sound completely... Uh, an uncultured child but i think that was one of my first realizations that something could be expressed artistically that didn't look exactly like it was supposed to so it was you know an artistic interpretation of starscream very prominent on the back of the uh, 1984 box art then there was the way he was represented on the front of the box art and then how he was shown in the cartoon and then the way the toy itself looks i realized this was all the same character I you know, kind of think I realized that they weren't trying to reproduce it exactly. So it was almost the first realization of an artistic interpretation of an object that could be done differently in different styles across different types of media. That's really interesting. And I think there is definitely something to that because um, this is a bit, you know, sort of a bit of a off piece, but uh, it, it's all coming back to your point. I was just playing with something with my boy recently. We've got these little uh, transformable letters and numbers that he's got the, the set and it kind of turns into little robots and creates a little combiner as well. They're very, very cool. Um, but, you know, trying to teach him his ABCs and all of that malarkey. And um, it's been great fun. But one thing I noticed was that there's there's obviously a box with a picture of one of the big robots on it. And we combined the toy and it had part of it. I can't remember what it was, but like a thing on his shoulder or whatever that sat in a different position on the actual toy than it did on the box. And, you know, for me, it's not the kind of thing that I was really paying attention to. But he picked up on it and he was like, no, no, it's it's supposed to go like this. And he was like pointing at the drawing on the box, you know, the, and it's very much like Transformers character artwork, you know, the front of the box stuff. And I was really interested that I was like, oh, but it actually doesn't do that. You know, mate, it doesn't sit like that on the actual toy. And he couldn't wrap his head around it. He was like, but it's on the box. And I was like, yeah, but the, the plastic won't do, <laughs> you know, so you're trying to explain to him, you know, that there's this difference. And I, I guess it made me interested because I had always assumed that I just grew up naturally 
realizing, if you like, that the toys look different to the comic, look different to the cartoon, that, you know, some of the packaging artwork was different as well. And that you had all, as you said, all these different interpretations. But I guess actually, maybe that was something that, as you're kind of indicating, that that was actually like a learned moment. Do you know what I mean? That it wasn't just something that you, you know, because you're a kid, it doesn't matter. That actually, maybe we just, at some point, had that moment of like, okay, so these are all different then, and that's fine. Um, uh, so it's kind of counterintuitive to what I assumed, I suppose. Yeah, and children have a, an incredible ability to pay attention to detail when they're interested in something. It uh, continually amazes me how my daughter is able to look at a toy accessory and know exactly what it belongs to and which toy yes. it came with when they have so many accessories today and she has so many toys. It's uh, it's still quite surprising. And the things I remember from childhood, like I don't ever remember putting stickers on my Transformers, but my childhood Transformers have stickers applied. I have no recollection of whether I did them or my mum did them. Or I was going to say, did, did your, your mum do them? <laughs> I have no idea who did them. I, I To this day, I still don't remember. Mm, I do remember stickers, actually. I do remember doing it. Um, you do. Not very well, but <laughs> uh, but still giving it a go. I used to um, hate it because I used to agonize over getting it right. I'd look at the box, I'd look at the instructions and everywhere, and I'd feel, you know, this, this stress. I think it was like the first time I discovered stress and anxiety was putting stickers <laughs> on toys. You know, if one just creased ever so slightly, it's going over the edge. Well, what a gift that toy that, line is, right? Right, yeah. Stress. <laughs> think of the Ta- baggage. Yes, to ta- taught you stress. But but it's it's good that you mentioned, just to go back a little bit, how you were saying about how it taught us, you know, that things could look different because that's something that's still very relevant now, isn't it? With Not just with Generation 1 fans or whatever. This is a, a very modern thing now where collectors of anything, any Transformers toy line or toy line, when they get they see the toy, the first thing you get is then screenshots comparing it to yeah. a film or a cartoon, isn't it? And it's very, this isn't accurate. Why isn't this accurate? It should look like this. And whereas back then, even though there was a lot of, it doesn't look like the cartoon, you kind of accepted it because it was so distinct and mm-hmm. you saw it in the comic or other things, doesn't it? You were enjoying it on a different basis. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. It's the same for me as articulation, you know, because a lot of people, when they talk about G1 toys, the natural thing that comes up is, oh, they're all bricks, you know, which is yeah. to, to a large extent true, although there are obviously points of articulation on some of them. But I think the point is, is that the, the character likeness was not important to me as a child. It, it didn't bother me that certain toys look nothing like their fictional portrayals there were weird ones like it's not 84 again but you know like broadside obviously in the comic looked nothing like the toy that i had you know that that was one that was like huh particularly then when you saw the toy in the catalog and it looked like the comic you know and it's the prototype uh, but well you know well, that's for another day that discussion but so there were weird ones but as, by and large the fictional portrayals differing so much i don't recall ever being that fussed about it same with articulation it never bothered me that my G1 toys didn't have ab crunches and waist swivels and, and ankle tilts and things like that. It just never came up. Did you did you ever notice that the hot rod in lots of early literature was pink and the toy wasn't? Do you know, it's funny. I've been thinking about that a lot recently. And it's a revelation. I, yeah, I think it's something that they should really do. Yeah. yeah it's about time it was, about time I it was addressed. I think people should think about that. I mean, I you guys know I'm not as on board with that as you, but... I'd definitely be up for one if they did one. It's definitely going to be a double do-over from now on then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, going forward, two-person yeah. podcast. I think so. You've got to be on board with Pink Hot Rod. Yep. True collector. <laughs> That's another rule. Because you know, the whole point of this episode is for us to talk about the 1984 toys. And 
we've been talking about just articulation and on-screen representation. And if anything, there's probably a bigger discrepancy between on-screen and toy in 1984 than possibly any any year subsequently. And yet we're trying to get to the bottom of why are the 1984 toys so hallowed and, and so loved still? And they're still being done again over and over in multiple lines, even though it's a relatively recent thing to be so slavish to to G1. But if we were going to judge them purely on accuracy and articulation, they they wouldn't they wouldn't last in our affections the way that they have. So there must obviously be something else about those initial batch of, as I understand it, twenty six transformers that that makes them stand out and it's more than articulation it's more than screen accuracy it's to do with what they represent how they are made and uh, just the design aesthetic behind them and and how that appeals to kids who already had toys that looked like those but didn't turn into robots would you say it's more than meets the eye maz i'd say it's more than meets both eyes (laughs) both eyes all of the eyes more than meets my laser (laughs) eyes hmm our eyes belong to us (laughs) no i definitely think you're right i think there is a charm to a lot of g1 toys i certainly think so anyway and yes the i I would say the 84 batch and a lot of the diaclone toys especially is it's an interesting case for me because i've said this before i actually don't think they're the best toys but i think they're they have an innate charm and they are wonderful all by themselves so and i think that's a for me that's there's a clear distinction between those two statements you know you like starscream is a good example the seeker mold it's not a brilliant toy in a lot of stop, regards you stop know right there. Stop right there. <laughs> get out <laughs> that's, that's the thing it, it almost feels like we talk about it in terms of charm and yeah. nostalgia but you know, I have to disagree. I enjoyed that 1984 range of toys as toys, and I still do today, incredibly. And that's based on much more than just charm and nostalgia and don't they look realistic. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's it's bad in any way. It's the, I suppose maybe it's not even saying it's a bad toy. It's not a bad toy. It's just that something like a hard head or whatever, do you know what I mean, by its very nature – is more there's there's kind of a more toyetic value to it in some way you know it's kind of more kind of built in that with children in mind i suppose versus this thing that comes apart in little bits and and whatever else and but maybe maybe some of that is the kind of modern um preferences towards what makes a good transformer as well you know the kind of resistance towards things like parts forming and whatever else so maybe you're right maybe i am thinking of this stuff through a kind of modern lens i don't know I, I never. My main memory of Starscream is the breaking those long missiles, and obviously that's a thing. That's a that's a, um like you said, a symptom of something being designed in a fragile way that's not the same as the later stuff. And also, yes, there were loads of parts to Starscream, and I am astonished how I was actually able to find as many parts from my childhood Starscream, my first ever toy I got when I was five years old, in in my stuff at home. So yeah, the parts got lost and everything, but. My third Transformers toy was Thundercracker. No, that was my fourth. Sorry, my fourth Transformers toy was Thundercracker. He is not broken. I love that you can remember that. Like, yeah, in that sort yeah. Of it was Starscream, Hubcap, Smokescreen, Thundercracker. Very he's clearly still, remember. He's still got his childhood spreadsheet. I was going to say, have you got a spreadsheet with this now? Little ticks and it's... Yes. And moving on. My Thundercracker actually is not broken at all. Has both long missiles has the landing gear, has both fists, both small missiles, all wings, no breakages. So after that first experience with Starscream, less than 
what, less than four months later or whatever it was, I had the same toy again. I liked it so much. I went and asked for the same thing in a different color, which is, you know, most unlike my collecting today, of course. And, you know, that has been kept in a much more pristine state. I knew what to look after. I knew what broke on it. But, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's a sign of a not a very well-designed toy because not everyone was going to get a Thundercracker after a Starscream. They might have been put off by that. The parents might have been put off by the fact that that toy was wrecked within you know, a matter of weeks. I think, yeah, I think for me, I, I guess that's what I was thinking of is that all the lost fists and stuff like that. I mean, um, you know, you, I know I've told you both this story before about my second-hand Optimus. Uh, you know, where I, where I came home one day and I finally had a, a G1 Optimus Prime. Uh, my mum had been to a car boot sale and uh, picked up a, a Optimus Prime and a set of aerial bots and kind of displayed them all on the table. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say. It, it's absolutely I tragic love, I story. I love this story. I love oh, this man. story. Well, I'll tell it for the benefit of the podcast just quickly because it's not really about the aerial bots today. But basically, my mum had bought these Transformers secondhand. And uh, I'd not, you know, not had an Optimus before, and obviously very exciting to see a full set of aerial bots, you know, secondhand, but still all looking good. She put them out; they're all in vehicle mode. She kind of just like fanned them out on on the on the table, and it looked. Uh, I mean, I was like fever pitch excitement, as you can imagine, just like jumping up and down, uh, absolutely thrilled. And uh, yeah, it, it was kind of a, a massive high coming crashing down to a, a, a bot, bot, rock bottom low as I realized that all of the aerial bots, the four smaller ones, had their heads snapped off inside Silverbolt. And so there was no <laughs> there was no way to recover from that. Just four headless aerial bots, no way to combine them, still with their heads jammed inside Silverbolt, so you can't even get like new limbs or whatever. Do you know That's what I mean? my favorite and, part. It was so cruel. You couldn't even forever, make another <laughs> forever ruined. You know what <laughs> the I mean? limbs Just... are ruined. Silver bolts ruined. <laughs> and and you know, I'm that I'm that kind of adult now and I, I was that kind of kid that I didn't want to disappoint. So of course you've kind of got that that fixed smile on your face just and as my mum's like you know is it good and I'm like oh yeah terrific you know <laughs> just trying to not die inside you know I was kind of like so so upset about these heads but uh, but it was still amazing and the Optimus uh, I remember had no fists and um, it, so it was still it was still great you know what I mean it was still fantastic to own it but no fists I don't think a roller I think maybe just the the it had the trailer um, I think it had the gun, bizarrely. I think the the rifle, but no fists. Um, but that... the rifle does sort of fit into the hole in the in the hand, doesn't it? Yeah, maybe I had to get crazy with it. I don't remember. But I, I remember then... Duacon. <laughs> but I, I remember I had Magnus as well, which may or may not have also been secondhand. And I I think I remember putting the white fists in on Optimus. Do you know what I mean? Like the little uh, white gloves. Yeah, exactly. Little white gloves. Well, I thought the Magnus robot. I thought was um, the alloy coated. Uh, hate plague resistant optimus that's exactly anyway. what i that did was, as a kid exactly i think same. most people did i think that was yeah. <laughs> i think that was all kids growing up in the 80s that saw uh the return of optimus prime because yeah. i'd never seen the return of optimus prime right. until dj cat put it on sky one in the <laughs> 90s but you know i think this is probably why you had to go and sneak into the metroplex christmas present because you just had to make sure yeah probably <laughs> that just, one had its bits <laughs> just had to suss it out and make sure that it was all good but yeah, I I suppose that's maybe maybe that's like you know a memory that kind of makes me form this opinion of of some of those early toys, you know, and like losing the bits and whatever. Because I definitely did lose some of the bits on them. Uh, you know, you take stuff over to friends' house or whatever you play with, um, bits get lost, you know. And um, so I, yeah, I should I should clarify, I suppose, my statement. It's not that I think they're bad toys at all. I love them, you know, those early toys. It's just that they have 
a quality to them that is very different from some of the later stuff. Uh, but they don't, you know, they don't wear particularly well either, do you? I mean, you see a lot of uh, side swipes with missing arms and, you know, paint coming off half of them. And, yep, my know. side swipe is obliterated and I never treated these toys roughly. I was never the kind of kid who rolled them off stairs or crashed them into each other or played with them in the garden and knocked them off tables. Yeah, That side swipe was probably revered and it did fall apart in my hands. That's very true. And I yet, mean, Red Alert, toys, <laughs> the next they? time I got Red Alert, it was fine. Yeah. I just needed the first one to ruin. And I, think that <laughs> I was always more careful with the second. I mean, how many jazzes do you see even today with missing roofs and you know yeah. whatever? It's, they're absolutely annihilated, some of them. Well, the I don't know. Appar- apparently, the new jazz, you just have to put a sticker on it and the roof breaks. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's 1984 accurate, for sure. Oh, current affairs. Yeah. <laughs> there's, the, there's the real tea. But those toys, like you're saying, there with the roofs. Every time I see, like a a Datsun on eBay or something like that, it's almost always the roof has come off. Naked. Like I remember when I was trying to source a Blue Streak for ages, and I found one that looked immaculate, it looked beautiful, and then in the next picture, it, the roof wasn't attached. It's like, oh, there we go. And it's but they are, aren't it's they? Convertible. Toys... It's a convertible. <laughs> it's a feature. It's a selling point. But uh, can you imagine putting that toy into a toy box? Uh, under other toys like if as a kid you would have just piled something else on top of it that would yeah, just exactly. would have been the end of it yeah for Definitely. me it was um with the datsons it was my brother i can't remember coming home from school sort of 1986 1987 and um yeah he'd stamped on all of them and i remember wow. it was the first time i think i ever fell out with my mum because i was so infuriated like you must replace these toys and her going oh no just sort of learn to live with it and I think that's why I mean my brother aren't close to this day. <laughs> I still hold this long standing. Yeah, and then you tapped up the grandma. <laughs> I was going to say then you spoke to your nan, and she just sorted you right out. I'm sure. When I was um, when I was the best man at his wedding, I actually put that bit in the speech. And um, my mum, when I was visiting, she saw it over my shoulder, and all I heard was, "Take that out now." <laughs> how on how on earth did you work that into the into the script? Like, despite my brother doing this to me as a child, here I am today. Well, I, pretty much I realised that um, the first couple of drafts of the thing were just me just saying why I hated my brother. <laughs> just he's all these, yeah, I ran his head through a wall once. <laughs> yeah, he broke all my toys. You might yeah. think that I'm here to say some nice things about my sibling on his wedding day, <laughs> but I'm actually here to air a few childhood grievances, ladies and gentlemen. But um, yeah, those toys were quite fragile, weren't they? I mean, do you think that's a lot to do with, because they included so much die cast? as well as the plastic, so it's kind of... Yeah, I mean, in theory, the die-cast should have been uh, more durable, but of course the paint just would yeah. shear off it sometimes and whatever, right. And because it was cheaper, wasn't it, metal at the time? That was the whole deal um, to produce, I think, uh, yeah, than plastic. Um, yeah, at that time, they would, I think they had sort of... Petrol and oil were much more expensive than metal, wasn't it? So that's why a lot of toys of that time are all very metal-based, aren't they? I'm I'm kind of wondering though if maybe that fragility to them, but also the you know the rubber, the ti- the, the rubber tires, the chrome, the paint, the, the diecast metal, that all surely must lead to those original toys still. I don't know, kind of the, the fact that they're they've got this longevity to them and this kind of like hallowed nature in some circles. I think I don't know. I can imagine now a lot of uh, adults, you know, going back to to the toys from their youth. It's it's not hard to see why people would pick up a, I don't know, a, a 1984 Optimus Prime, uh, and, you know, even something like the Power Master version and think that the 1984 one was somehow better in terms yeah. of its aesthetics and what have you. That's not, I'm not saying that's my opinion. I'm saying that you can imagine 
uh, people going back to it and kind of looking at it in that way just because of the the materials used and whatever else it's uh, it's funny that you mentioned the fragility of the 1984 toys because that's also something that Hasbro and Takara recognized at the time because if you look at the 1985 assortments of those uh, series 1 guys you know like Prowl Blue Streak Mirage even they had molding differences from the 1984 releases that were supposed to combat the really common breakages. So you'll see that there's little brackets in places that there weren't on the 1984 line. There are small changes that were made, running changes, in order to make them more durable. So obviously they had realized that once these had got into you know, much more global markets being experienced by millions and millions of children uh, across the world, that there were breakages. And I think you'll find that most of the breakages on G1 Mirage wastes are from pre-rub 1984 Diaclone ones, whereas the like my childhood Mirage is a 1985 one, and uh, it's survived till now without any breakages. And I, I transformed that toy loads. Whereas I went to transform one of my Diaclone Mirages as a collector, you know, nice and carefully, and that waste just literally peeled off. You know, it just separated wow. in front really? of my eyes with the least force you can imagine. Wait, so, Maz yeah, broke a toy. This is yes, unusual. I can even do it telepathically, as your Transmetal Megatron can attest to. Uh, no, I never forgive you for breaking that. <laughs> I told you not to transform it at the time. Both Wayne and I said, "Don't do it. Just leave it." But yeah, I so was like, even- no, throw caution to the wind. <laughs> I will. I will transform it. But yeah, even in 1985, those toys, the, the, they were running changes to combat that fragility. Yeah, and they changed springs and a few other things, didn't they? They they made quite a few adjustments, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't think uh, in the UK, I remember none of my uh, launches properly launched. You know, springs were taken out. No. They, these things were neutered for Western markets. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's in, it is interesting for sure. And I do think you're right. I think I seem to recall a lot of my, uh, you know, any toys that I did have from the kind of 1985 range being maybe a little bit more durable, you know, stuff like Inferno and whatever else, um, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I do. I do think that some of the materials used and all of that has definitely kind of contributed to the the kind of legend of it all. Do you know what I mean? The early days. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I remember getting, as I say, one or two of the gold box guys. You know, back when they kind of came around again in the early nineties, and it they did feel different. You know, to to I the one I would say actually, I remember getting the motivator flame. Uh, you know, very sort of latter day generation one, uh, obviously in Europe, and that felt i mean i love the toy now but i remember actually being if anything a little bit disappointed with it as a kid because the the other stuff that was coming out at the time was like gold box prowl and things like that and probably you know i was a bit older then and i guess you do i remember noticing the differences i suppose is what i'm saying and it's interesting now to think of that and to type kind of tap into that memory because uh it's just weird kind of marrying up those two toys i don't think you could get more different really that mm-hmm. were released sort of subsequently you know in the same line it's quite interesting god i was so excited when i realized that the classics gold box were a thing i remember being excited about that when i'd seen them i was like i'm finally gonna have a sunstreaker or a jazz still never got a jazz but i do remember getting a sunstreaker in a gold box and at the same time i think i, I had gotten um an aerial bot air raid and, and even the difference between air raid and sunstreaker was massively striking to me even though their origins are not quite as widely apart as something like a motivator and um and the 1984 toy would be and it's funny how some of these 1984 toys actually deteriorated further during that period of releases to the point where the gold box release may not even be as durable as the 1984-85 version you know there are noticeable degradations in molding on on these toys as, as that period of time. 
And there are some noticeable differences as well, because I noticed with my 1990 Goldbots Classics Wheeljack, for example, it's a very different shade of white to my 1984 Wheeljack. And it's not just that one's faded more than the other. It's very distinct in the paint. The It's way more vibrant. That's interesting, I think- actually. Yeah, I think as this stuff has been reissued further over the years, it still amazes me how different some of those are. I think the one, I mean, it's not, you know, it's a bit of reissue chat, but I I think we've talked before, a couple of us, about, you know, for example, the Encore line and how some of those 84 originals are really not at their best in the Encore line, you know. No. And then you do, you do get stuff like the collectors, you know, the Takara collectors edition reissues, which are really good quality, actually. And I think kind of up there, in terms of build, you know, with some of the original toys. But yeah, Encore, certainly, if that's your... I know people that have had their first impression of 84 toys through Encore, and they're kind of like, oh, this feels a bit rubbish, actually. Constructicons especially. Yeah. I think the Constructicons fall into that category. But in fact, like the Collectors... Yes, that's a good point. Uh, Do you know the Collectors Edition Lamborghinis, like the Sideswipes and the Red Alert, they all seem to have this problem with one of their feet that it doesn't actually come out Yes. It doesn't. So, you know, right. Even then, there were issues. And the less said about the uh, the Dreamwave box Jazz's face, the better. I knew you were going to say that. As soon yeah. as you said the less said, I was like, it's going to be Jazz's yeah, face. Yeah. It's really quite bad, isn't it? It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. They they actually, bizarrely, that's one thing the Encore did get right, was the Jazz face is right. good. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. It's interesting seeing how those original toys have kind of been changed so much. You, you kind of, there's not really one definitive version of of quite a few of them now you know they've they've been tweaked so much uh you know even from the days of diaclone obviously a lot of the stickers changed and you know then rub signs pre-rub you know so what is the definitive version of any one of those toys it's quite hard to say yeah it just comes into your personal preference doesn't it what means the most to you and what, what you want to collect yeah definitely what, i think what uh, will less likely break maybe even yeah, that's certainly what I go for, it has to be said, typically <laughs> speaking. But what's what am I not going to break? Or what's Maz not going to break if every comes out? <laughs> Telepathically. What's not going to yeah. yellow? Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's the worst. One. It's the absolute worst, that is. But yeah, just the actual retail models, there's 29. And that doesn't even include Skids, who did drop at the end of 84, didn't he? Yeah, he, yeah. Yeah, yeah I he, think even Jetfire was released in 1984. You know, in the US, yeah. Jetfire was released in 84, and so was Shockwave. You know, mm. they, they can be found in uh, in late 1984. There's always people, isn't there, that are so keen to kind of put them in one or the other. You know, are mm. they an 84 toy or an 85 toy? I I think of them as 85. I guess just because that's the range. You know, that's the that's the that's the catalogue that they're in and whatever else. So even though they could be sure. found on shelves, yeah, you know, a few I think it's, a fair, it's a fair distinction. I, I, it's like splitting hairs talking about skids with people really these is. days. But what is interesting is that both Skids and Jetfire have pre-rub versions. Here's here's one for you. What toys do you think it would have been interesting to see uh, kind of released maybe earlier, you know, in the 1984 range that they held back? You know, I'm thinking stuff like Ultra Magnus and things like that, of course, that, you know, obviously came later. Or toys that they, you know, at the time didn't release at all. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the you know from Diaclone or, or Microchange or whatever. You know, like some of the other guns, for example, and things like that. You know, because there is potential that it could have looked like quite a different lineup. Yeah, I mean, Metroplex was a, a Diaclone design. Uh, having a, a legitimate base former in the 1984 line might have been quite interesting. Yeah, uh, and also, you know, the uh, the Scramble City bots were, were designed during Diaclone. 
it would have been mm. interesting to see if uh, that concept was was brought at the same time as everything else. It would have been interesting to see how much more attention they would have gotten than the traditional car robots and jet robots. Well, I was going to say, it w- I think it would have dramatically changed any of these toys that we're kind of mentioning. I think it would have dramatically changed the the kind of identity of what Transformers yeah. was at the beginning because it was cars very much... as Decepticons, planes as Autobots would have been exactly. a bit more distinct, yeah. less distinct. It, it was very clearly cars are good and jets and stuff are bad, and and that you know is <laughs> stuff. Yes, it's very yeah, divided what... across cars versus. Well, they say cars versus planes, but the Decepticons aren't really split. There's only three planes, aren't there? Three planes. Uh, what <laughs> well, if you watch the cartoon, there were tons of them, weren't there, in that first <laughs> yeah. episode? All the random coloured generic jets. But yeah, it was yeah, literally what, three, three planes, five cassettes, a tape, tape deck, and a gun. And that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, it, it's kind of, and then, you know, the watches and stuff. But it is funny. Uh, I was also thinking about that, actually, talking about the watches, about how interesting it would have been if they had been marketed differently you know obviously i i kind of get the feeling it's just my kind of looking at them and wondering not based on anything if you know they looked at the watches and just thought yeah these don't kind of look as good so <laughs> we're going to make them a kind of separate thing uh because they're a lot more simplistic and whatever else but imagine how weird it would have been if actually they just rolled it in with everything else do you know what i mean and and you know like time warrior for example or autoceptor or deceptor if they'd have been legit characters like in the cartoon Kaltor. and whatever else and yeah Kaltor. you know i do find it really funny that the first two are named sort of Autoceptor, Autobots, Deceptor, Decept- Decepticons. And he's got Kaltor. <laughs> yeah, he's a calculator, isn't he? He's like a yeah. right calculator thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, or, or like the Power Dashes, for example, as well. You know, if they'd have made those into legit characters, you know, with bios and uh, and they'd been in the comic and the cartoon and they'd have been, I don't know, potentially fan favorite characters. I don't know. It just would have been quite I love weird. what's happened to those toys now. I mean, when they were released as Seiji Justra Diaclones and, and even... In, in the US on, you know, Diachron cards and then Chronoform cards, they had names, you know, Aragon, Chromar, Zeta. Mm. And the first time I saw those names used in Transformers was uh, IDW's More Than Meets the Eye. It was in a flashback to an older part of the war. Ultra Magnus was ordering some of the uh, Autobots around and, and the Power Dashes were there and named as their Diaclone names, European Diaclone names. And then, of course, now we've had uh, we've had them in generations, and they have those names. So those are established names now, based on pre-Transformers era names. Uh, I love how that's uh, that's developed. Yeah, that is really cool. I do I do like that as well. You, you get a little you get a little bit of that with like spin out and stuff, though, as well, don't you? And things like that. They're kind of that making it. It's a very good point. Something it reminds me of was the I think it was the August nineteen eighty four uh, Marvel issue. I can't remember the exact name of the issue, but that was the first occasion where Transformers actually had names. And we had uh, Spin Out, we had Blow Out, and uh, these were names that were in that issue. And that's why it's such a a really cool comic to own, because it had these little mini bios for, for the characters before they had their final names. And that's definitely that's where Spin Out comes from. That's where Blow Out comes from. And of course, Budiansky was at TF Nation a, a few years ago and he put up his big yellow sheet of names yeah. uh, that he had. Oh, that Starscream name that he inherited from the other Marvel writer was hilarious, wasn't it? I can't, what was it? I can't remember. Uh, I, I simply can't remember, but it was I've got a photo somewhere. Something quite oh, alien. Yeah. And uh, I was right. It was the August badged 1984 Marvel Age comic, issue 17. And that um, that had a feature on the Transformers toys that were going to be upcoming with a, with a passage about those toys I mentioned, Sideswipe, Blowout, and Spinout. And... 
we know that Sideswipe and Sunstreaker's tech specs were mixed up. And like the, the clearest example of that is the text in, in this comic was saying something like, Sideswipe possesses pile driver arms and, and he's got a rocket backpack, mm. which is you know not quite what you know of the toy, even though Sideswipe in the cartoon had a rocket backpack in that one episode. But Sunstreaker is the one who's got the big vents on his back and he's got the missile he's got the, hands. The, the upside down goblets, as Liam would call them. <laughs> yes, exactly. He needs stories uh, for his wine glasses. Yeah. <laughs> and Spinout is equipped with an ultra accurate, accurate missile launcher and electron pulse gun, which sounds a lot more like what Sideswipe has. You know, he's got yeah. the shoulder mounted rocket. And uh, Blowout can fire projectiles filled with a special compound called glass gas. I think the closest I got to. Glass gas was in the the pilot episode where Cliff Jumper fires something similar at Laserbeak. Yeah, he's got a glass gun, doesn't he? Yeah, that's it. But uh, that's why, to me, I've always thought that the name Sideswipe was what Sunstreaker was going to be. So, and that's quite mm. hard one to imagine. And of course, it was going to be red, and that Spinout was supposed to be Sideswipe. But of course, um, Bud Budiansky, when he put Bob Budiansky, when he put that slide up at TF Nation, it was uh, Spinout was on Sunstreaker's name. So I've always found that a little bit of um, of an inconsistency because from reading that Marvel Age issue it, and looking at the the way the tech specs were mixed up and how Sideswipe and Sunstreak had just constantly got mixed up in the early 80s, even to the point where the European release of Sunstreaker ended up in a Sideswipe box yeah. for Milton Bradley release. I always thought Spin Out kind of sat better with Sideswipe than Sunstreaker, but that, obviously that is not how the, the canon goes now. It may have gone through multiple iterations. You know, it may have evolved over time, and you know that that sheet that we saw might just be one document of many. I guess we don't know, do we? As you said, it's also speculative. It's really kind of hard to definitively say. Absolutely. I remember that slide going up at TFN when I mean that Budiansky panel was just fabulous. Anyway, that's terrific. It was wonderful. But I remember when that slide went up, and just like the chatter across the room in the audience was suddenly like, you know, it's everybody trying to read. All of the little names and everything is handwritten uh, scan. It's, it was really, really quite something. Very, very interesting. Name swaps. and I mean, the tech spec swaps for Sideswipe and Sunstreaker. You get this um, merchandise from the time where you lenticular wallets where you've got Sunstreaker pictured, but he turns into a yellow Sideswipe. There's these wall plaques that you get uh, a red Sideswipe robot, but he turns into a red Sunstreaker car. This level of confusion and stuff was was so prevalent at the time it just shows you how much they were rushing to get this to market mm. you know in well, why do you think they did swap the colors of sunstreaker in sideswipe uh well there was quite a lot of red anyway i think in he's still got the stickers no oh actually i think that there is a, a theory about this and i don't know if the guy who, who pitched this to me was just you know bullshitting but it was something that made sense to me if you think of the three cars that came out in 1983 in Takara's Diachron line. It was the Sunstreaker in red. That was car robot number one in Japan. Then there was Ironhide in black. That was car robot number two in Japan. Then car robots three and four were repaints of those toys, police Sunstreaker and uh, uh, ambulance ratchet. Then car robot number five in Japan was the Trailbaker mold, and Diachron got that in blue. So when Transformers came out, those three toys, Ironhide, Sunstreaker, and um, Trailbreaker, all had different colors. Sunstreaker got a new color in yellow. Ironhide was done in red. It was also being done for pre-Transformers in red. And Trailbreaker, they went with um, with the black version because that's not what the Diachron version was. So I think there might have been a degree of trying to 
distinguish them from the diachronic. Trying to make it separate. Now, car robots number six and seven were the first version of skids, what we know as Crosscut now, and Blue Streak. And if they were planned for diachron, you can imagine that maybe diachron would have gone with the same color that led the Japanese diachron line, which was blue, blue streak, which might explain why we didn't get blue, blue streak for Transformers, because it was maybe planned for the diachron line. So that actually makes so much sense. It's, it's, not, it's not even funny. It's like it all kind of syncs yeah. up very nicely. It's um, so much speculation, though, and there's literally mm. no source to go to to say, you know, can you clarify this? But it's a fun story. So with Blue Blue Street, this is good. See, this is one that always fascinates me with the color swaps because on the box, he's silver and blue, even sort of the toy pictures. But in the cartoon, he's got the black streak across the top, but the actual toy is just plain silver. So is he the only character where there are th- literally three different color schemes that are all official at that time? Under the same name. Well, uh, obviously well, now yeah, they because, have different names. One's yeah, Streak, Blue Streak, Silver Streak. You know, Now it's a different story. Because obviously we see differences like in the catalogs and stuff like that. But with with Blue Streak, it's different because his it was merchandised with him, you know, in the silver and grey. Like the transforming jigsaw, wasn't they, in the silver and blue? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I that guess, was blue. I guess, I mean, uh, if, if you're just talking like toy variants and stuff, there's also stuff like Swoop, isn't there, and what have you. I mean, yeah. it's 85, but that was, you know, obviously the toys. Uh, blue, but you know, uh, sorry, red, but you typically see it as blue, and it's blue in the comic and the uh, yeah. in the cartoon and whatever. So I don't know. But I mean, there are quite a few of those, but they there's only sort of one alternate, if that makes sense. So you get the yeah. blue swoop, but the toys red. But with Blue Street, there are three different color schemes. Like, where does the silver come from? Because obviously, in the cartoon, he's got the black street. On the box, he's got the blue. So why is the toy just silver? Well, it, don't again. It might just come from that distinction that trying to distinguish between the versions that have gone before. So the Diaclone version of Blue Streak in Japan had the black hood, which is where yeah. the animation model comes from. The blue version was the first release, and then that's obviously what's made it to all the packaging. But why they went with all silver, I don't know. Maybe just, um, it could be anything. It could be saving money on paint, not having yeah. to paint the hood black. It could be to distinguish it from Diaclone because they decided I- not to roll with blue, and maybe it was just easier to do them all silver. I just find it absolutely fascinating that it's a rare one where you can really see them obviously going through different decisions at different points. Because mm-hmm. for every different version of the design there is different. Could it not just have been a marketing decision, you know, just sitting around the table going, what if we just actually go with our own color on that one? I think all silver would look cool on that toy. Yeah, let's just make him shiny. I mean, don't forget, like you mentioned, Bumblebee and, and Cliffjumper, they had two official released colors. Yeah. You know, that was never really addressed in terms of fiction but you know and even later the the later cards had you know both colors on the card you know so you had red as the vehicle yellow as the robot mode it pictured on the card then you've got the hilarious mexican release of it where it's a yellow robot mode red car mode and the toy package is blue so that, that's a fantastic <laughs> looking variant as well mm. but do you know what in my opinion anyway the best deco change that hasbro made was Which? red alert Mm, I was going to say Skywarp. Oh yeah, you're right on Skywarp. Yeah, yeah, just that for me is the is the prettiest of the Seekers for sure. Um, and I always find it mad to think that it was a, a Hasbro thing. I just like I like the idea of you said Maz of, of like some uh, you know product meeting or whatever where someone just went, "What about black and purple?" and everyone just kind of went, "Oh, of course, let's do it." Skywarp is definitely the prettiest of the two Seekers, which aren't the number one prettiest. So you're kind of right there. 
You're talking Starscream, of course, because Thundercracker. You, you have a, oh, okay. I thought you were going to go Starscream just because oh, of your Starscream sparkly thing. Sparkly blue Thundercracker is just plastic old, dream. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is wild yeah, to me because I genuinely assumed Maz was going to pick Skywarp as his favorite of the three. Mm. I, I love the way Skywarp looks, and it's the one I didn't have as a kid and always wanted to play with my cousin's Skywarp, and you know he never made that available. So I always had that feeling of wanting that one. But Thundercracker in that 1984 catalogue, the way it looked in that lighting, it was just quite divine. And I've, I've always loved that toy. It's so pretty in person. Do you think the catalogues and stuff, do you think that's a big part of kind of all of this uh, kind of romanticizing about it all as well? Because I know for me, I definitely spent hours looking at those catalogues and just Hugely. kind of... Yeah, just dreaming about the toys and and you know what what they would be like in hand and whatever else. And I don't know, it's it's a funny one because uh, it's it's probably not too far away from you know kind of looking at toys and stuff on the internet now. Do you know what I mean? But there was just there was something about having that bit of paper and you know a lot of time and imagination that it really just kind of a lot of them just kind of took on a life a life of their own. Do you know what I mean? And just really kind of sat in the imagination. It's a big part of the packaging, isn't it? Like we were talking about earlier, how important that was. It's sort mm. of you'd see the box with all this colourful art and the, the bio, but just as much as when you opened it, there was this expectation you'd get the tech spec reader, the instructions, the sticker sheet, and a catalogue to look at. There are all these different... That sometimes turned into a little poster, didn't it? And so yeah. I think that's quite... I don't know. I think that's something that elevates that whole package as well. So I was just going to say that um, the catalogues have a really kind of neat, look to them. I really like the way that the toys are presented in a lot of those early catalogues, particularly the 1984 kind of really early examples. You know, the toys are laid out in a very kind of specific way. And I think for me, it's I'd struggle or I would struggle to think of a toy line uh, that feels as much like you kind of want to collect them all from that era, just because of the way that they're kind of very kind of neatly laid out and what have you, which is interesting because there's actually not that much interactivity between the respective toys. You know, like you don't need to have, you know, other to- other toy lines from the time that kind of cross over a little bit more in terms of play value or whatever else. These don't necessarily for the largest part, other than stuff like maybe Prime's trailer, but there's just the, the kind of look of the catalogs kind of lends itself to that you know, you want to get the whole lineup. Uh, the, Maz, you have kind of a similar aesthetic in some of your photos, you know, in your Transformers Square One photos, where you kind of lay things out in a very neat fashion. But I always find it very visually appealing. Like it really kind of, I, I don't know, it makes you, it kind of, like Liam was saying last episode, you know, buy these toys. It really kind of makes you want to kind of pick up the whole set. Yeah, I've heard it described as retro. And that's why I try to get those pastel colors as well. It does. Yeah, it works. Uh, and, and I think the person who really put me onto that was the the gentleman who runs 20thcenturytoycollector.com. His photography really evokes the retro look. And he even went so far as to get gradiented paper, which is sort of starts off sky blue and then turns white towards the top. And it just uh, it looks purely like an, an 80s catalog. And yeah, it's really funny you say that about the interactivity between the toys, because I don't even remember seeing Optimus Prime displayed with any of the G1 cars coming out of the trailer in any no. of those catalogues. But Diaclone it's... is full of that sort of thing. Yeah, Diaclone really went for it, didn't they? They really kind of like hammed up. And obviously a lot of the adverts and stuff were, you know, with the toys and little dioramas mm. and things like that. And they really kind of hammed up all of that. Whereas Transformers, they it's weird that actually Transformers had the bigger fiction but mm-hmm. then actually for the toy catalogues, they really paired that back and just kind of had them stood very uniform and kind of motionless. And then you have Ultra Magnus's box, which has got him with Silverbolt on it. Yeah. So kind of bought back into that again. 
Yeah, definitely. That's that's the I I I often think about this kind of cross functionality of G one toys, and that mm-hmm. the the there are only and we I think we talked about it on our previous episode. You know, there are only kind of few and a few examples of that through the line. But definitely in nineteen eighty four, maybe because it is a bit of a hodgepodge as well. Uh, I mean, there's like you know stuff like the Decepticons. I guess you've got Soundwave and the cassettes. That's probably and a they good were displayed about. together in the catalog. You know, that, yeah. that was shown as an interact. I mean, you can't really get away from that. It would have been really weird to show them in a separate box in the catalog, just the cassettes and not with Soundwave. He was the Decepticon communicator and they were his minions very clearly. Yeah, definitely. Because the, um, the G1 toy adverts were very similar to Diaclone in that way, weren't they? The actual, you know, the ones on the TV, should I say? Because they still had kids playing with the toys yes. and you saw them all sort they of did. zooming around little rockscapes and popping off like that. Which you two now recreate in your photography. Uh, yeah, we we got a different style. Yeah, I make no bones about that. My whole, everything I do is inspired by that. The, the, the reason I still collect toys is because of those images. Even as a kid, that's exactly what I wanted to recreate. And so when I was playing with the toys in like someone's garden, I was always looking for the rocky bits to stand them near them. So it was like the catalogs and the adverts. Yeah, Liam's ultimate form when he finally, uh, you know, sort of evolves into a superior collector, he's going to be like that kid in the Galvatron advert that just turns into <laughs> Galvatron. That's like how he's going to suddenly elevate himself. At I'm that point, that, he will have scowl and green eyes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He will have become one with the toy advert, and then you know he w- he will have reached his final form. Okay, so of all the Transformers released in 1984, there is one that stands above all the others, isn't there? Sort of that one toy that everybody gravitates to. The one that. be Jetfire then. (laughs) My nails still have nightmares about Jetfire from that little (laughs) mechanism, you know, the the, the wheel pops. The landing gear and the undercarriage, yeah. yeah, yeah. But but I'm talking about obviously Optimus Prime. You know, we've we've already spoken about him briefly where Six I mentioned he gave him white hands, just like his little Optimus Prime butler. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, you know that was coming. So, I actually hadn't even thought about it. But <laughs> it there you go. from such a young age. <laughs> it's, it's just so normal to me to have, you know, butle, butlers, pe- people who buttle. Robot that, butlers uh, is the next evolution. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I would love that, man. A little robot butler. That would be... Who wouldn't people want that? who buttle. I like that. <laughs> uh, is that even a thing? I don't even know if that's how you say it. I'm not actually that acquainted with butlers. Just to shatter any expectations that anybody may have. Uh, I'm amazed there's not like a Decepticon rebuttal. <laughs> rebuttal. <laughs> yes, indeed. But no, you're right. Optimus is, well, it's a fantastic toy, isn't it? It's, I, I, it has to be, I'm sure, for most people, if you were to say, what's one of your favorite Generation 1 toys, it, it's going to be somewhere on that list, right? And it's, for most it's frequently found, isn't it, at the top of all-time greatest toys. And it's, mm. it's not just because he's a popular character, he was the leader. It's that toy. It's a great toy demonstrate so much about what that toy line is from the start doesn't it Maz? yeah and does anything look better in a g1 box than optimus prime apart no. from maybe jetfire the way optimus prime looks red truck red box are just the proportions of the way it's laid out has always been attractive to me and i never owned a vintage optimus prime as a kid had power master prime was my prime but i always loved the way that toy looked in the box and I think that sticks in my mind very clearly as well. And there's just a certain feeling that's evoked every time I see that toy. And I'm not a big Prime guy. I've, I've never gone out of my way to collect Primes. He's never been a strong character for me to gravitate towards in, in media. But yeah, that toy is very special and was even a leader figure in Diaclone as well. 
Yeah, it's it's remarkable. I actually do have my vintage. Uh, it wasn't the original one that I had, but a, a vintage uh, G1 Optimus, which is in a box. And it it's not in the best condition ever or whatever, but I just like seeing it in the box, as you said. And it's something about the fact that it's not a reissue, that it is just you know that original toy in that packaging. It just looks superb. It's just it, it's a real lovely thing of beauty. Uh, I don't know. I think for me, it's the color scheme and everything as well. The the red and the blue. It's sort of so classic. Um, but it's it's absolutely iconic. It's hard to imagine uh, that they would have chosen any other toy as the leader of the Autobots, really. And he's not a he's not a brick is, either, is he? He has actually quite a lot of articulation for it. You know, his arms can wave about. His yeah. legs can move backwards and forwards, and he even has knees and ankles. Shoulders, yeah, if the if the yeah. if the hips moved forward, it would have all the articulation. And maybe and maybe a head swivel, you know, that yeah. it would have all the articulation you could want. Really, it's just it's just those points. But um, yeah, it's it's a very fun toy, and it's got a lot of involvement with the trailer as well. Yeah, that trailer is, I said it last time, is the gift that keeps on giving. In episode one, actually, I think I mentioned it. And you know, consider that the first Optimus Primes came with metal plates in the trailer. Yeah, a throw a throwback to Diaclone, where you used to be able to attach the little guys, the Diaclone pilots, the Inchmen, with the magnetic feet. It's just lovely, lovely features. That little command center, brilliant. There's something actually that we haven't uh, talked about, but is for me a fascinating point of owning these toys as children, which is the the Diaclone hand-me-down, you know, the very nature of it was the the bits that were missing. <laughs> because <laughs> yes. as a kid, I was I it's a funny thing to kind of say now, but I remember realizing that something was not there. Uh, for me, actually, the two most prominent examples, not 84 toys, but were Ultra Magnus and Grimlock. And those were the two, the little seat in Grimlock's back. And of course, with Ultra Magnus, I remember realizing that you could take his chest plate and it would click into the head, uh, into Mm. his helmet, and that that did a thing. And I was like, oh, this is not even in the instructions. What's going on here? You know, and those little features or gimmicks for me, and it was the same on other toys, you know, that you could see that they had little, like with Optimus is a, is a great example, the way that the front of the, the cab flips down uh, and there's little seats in there. I remember thinking that wh- what have I, what am I not getting about this? Do you know what I mean? As a, as a child. Well, um, yeah, you, you wouldn't have got the fist storage because you didn't have the fists. No, I had no, <laughs> no fists for me. No, <laughs> no. but uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's fascinating that they kind of just cut this, functionality out you know the little uh the little dinauts and what have you and then just just went hey ho let's just package it without and um it still would have been confusing for kids weird it's it's so glaring as well at the time isn't it because so many of those toys have those features like like you're talking there with the um the little drone in optimus prime's trailer he has that the little cockpit that flips out and there are little seats all around and so exactly. many of the toys like you're saying about the dinobots as well they have the little compartments that open up and the yeah. Insecticons are another, aren't they? And it's so obvious that something is missing. But even back then, you ha- there was no way of knowing what that was. Like, I don't think it was until the very late 90s that I knew of, that it was Diaclone Pilots. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just assumed you were supposed to fill in the gaps with your imagination as a kid. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Jets had cockpits, of course, because Jets have cockpits. You know, how are you not going to uh, incorporate that? But... Um, yeah, maybe you were one of those lucky kids who swear blind that they got Zoids drivers with their Transformers. <laughs> yeah, I think it did It did have a sort of Zoidy feel to it and things like that as a kid. Little Manta so. Force men, that's what I used to shove in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think actually when we were talking about gimmicks and stuff in the in the first episode, I think it was, and uh, it was really interesting for me. I can't remember which one of you said it when you were talking about the fact that actually 
like headmasters with the heads and all of that kind of yeah, feels right. like a tie into Diaclone. And that for me was Liam, was it you? I, I can't remember, but um, Tours yeah, moi. From, yeah. was it you? I'm sorry, Maz. No, no worries. No. I'll take the credit. Yeah. I'll have it. Yeah, yeah. Well done, Liam. Um, but everything else I bring to it was me. Yeah, yeah it was me. Oh. Well, like everything else I bring to this hobby, I heard it from somebody else. You know, it's, it, I learned <laughs> it from somebody else. Well, it's, it it's, all, it's all cyclical, isn't it? So, uh, but yeah, no, I just thought that was a really kind of interesting take, I suppose, a really interesting perspective that I'd not really considered before that it it is similar in many ways. Um, so we're yeah. saying they got there in the end. Yeah, I guess so. Little men. It was always about little men. <laughs> and of course, completely interchangeable as well. And that was a big part of yeah. it too. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, but I guess it's also interesting to think of stuff like the mini bots being kind of crammed in. Uh, you know, we kind of talked about MicroChange earlier, but just being kind of smushed in with Optimus and all of those other guys. Like, well, this will work. You know, they've got weird proportions and whatever else, but we'll we'll just make it work. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, did you ever hear a child complaining about scale? No, never. No, that generally, was, that was so much of the fun, though, wasn't it? Was that like we were talking about earlier, the connectivity of it, like you could put those cars in the trailer and stuff, but you didn't think of that they were specifically designed to go in there or not. It's just they went in and they came back out. Yeah, and it's, you're right. The scale, I guess, is for me a bit kind of almost like the articulation in that I just didn't particularly care about it as a kid. It's, you know, same with the combiners. I remember thinking, oh, you know, like with Menasaur or whatever, uh, you know, like Motormaster, it'd be nice if it was kind of more comparable to Prime. But... I don't recall it being a, a big problem. You know, it's a very modern you know. complaint, isn't it? Yeah. yeah it's it really not is. an obstruction to play. No, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I, I look at my boy now and, and he's got various Transformers, but, you know, I've given him a couple of G1 toys. He's got, it's yeah, a couple of rescue bots, uh, you know, but they're all different sizes. They don't match. He does not care. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he, plays, he, he gets Lego in there and all kinds. And it's all just about the imagination for him. So, and I think that's, I think, anyway, if you just leave kids to it, then that's kind of how they they make do with it, isn't it? Absolutely. And Optimus is one of the very few that, well, not one of the few, sorry, is one of the toys that's still very similar to his Diaclone version, isn't he? He still has all those features and everything. Yeah, I suppose the Western version, minus the firing missiles, he can still launch Roller, but that was neutered heavily for Transformers. The original launcher for the Diaclone version was, you know, considerably stronger. And of course, in Japan, they they still got the launchers. In fact, they got a super launcher with the VSX version of Optimus Prime, real, real, real powerful launcher on the on the roller there. So yeah, we got most of the stuff carried over, and and it's just such a testament to that toy that despite taking out the the magnetic feature of the trailer with the with the Dianauts, taking out the super launcher for the roller, taking out the firing missiles, there was still so much toy there. That mm. everyone remembers it so fondly, and it still still holds up so well today, and is repeatedly reissued. You are right about it being a testament to the toy as well, because it's just how good that toy is, and how it's it defines Transformers as something now. It's still of all the versions of Optimus Prime we've had, it's still the one everyone goes back to. It's still the definitive take. Like every other character, there are so many different versions you can chop and change, and you're quite happy. But Optimus Prime is so specifically that version of Optimus Prime. I mean, there are some great ones. But that toy still stands. It's it's a thing of yeah. its own. I, I I think one thing that got me back into G1 collecting was this vision or this idea of having that 
G1 Optimus Prime mold in various colors, you know, looking at like yeah. stuff like Shining Magnus and, uh, you know, the, the, the powered convoy uh, colors, you know, the movie preview Magnus and stuff like that. Uh, you know, but also the, the New Year special, whatever else, just the, uh, the idea of having the G1 Prime mold in multiple colors was for me very visually appealing. There's something about that, that mold that just feels so classic. Uh, you know, in G2 and stuff like that, I just think there's been so many wonderful uses. The Bapes, uh, which I, I, you know, also adore. Uh, I just think it's been used so many times. Uh, this is one that actually made me laugh because um, I, I can't remember where it was, what platform, but someone, uh, I posted a picture of G2 Prime and uh, someone online was lamenting it and saying how terrible it was and that, you know, they'd kind of uh, sullied, sullied the original design, you know, with the, in G2 or whatever because it looks so ridiculous and that, you know, now he's got Optimus Prime written in big letters along the side of his uh, trailer. And that was so ridiculous because, you know, he's supposed to be a robot in disguise and all of this kind of stuff. And uh, then, of course, you know, I pointed out that actually in Diaclone, it's got, you know, Battle Convoy written yeah. in large letters, <laughs> which is the name of that toy. Do you know what I mean? Yes. On the trailer. And, uh, but, you know, that was different because that was Diaclone. So that was okay, of course. <laughs> to, yeah, I think they weren't in hiding, were they? <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you're right. But it's just, it's funny how you know, these things kind of change a little bit over time and how it's the same toy, but it's just viewed differently when it's in a different line or whatever else. I don't know. I do love this idea that it's like, it's a kid's toy, but it's got to be realistic. You know, it's got to fit yeah. into that sort of very specific mindset of, but what if it was a real truck? It's like, but it's not. It's a toy truck for kids. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, let's be fair. If it was real, they wouldn't all have massive Autobot logos on them and stuff like that, would <laughs> no. they? That would be kind of a silly thing to do. Do you know what I mean? Say Amazon, like... wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably would actually. Yeah, let's be fair. So Pepsi, not around these parts. <laughs> yeah, we actually yeah. get the the Coca Cola convoy here. So you know, the whole holidays are coming convoy down the street with the music oh, you do? and the lights. Yeah, we actually do get that here. So more likely, we we would have a big Coca Cola Optimus Prime or a Pepsi Prime. <laughs> Wait, do, wow. you, do you live in the town from that advert? Is that where you live, Matt? <laughs> yeah, it sometimes spawns in the old uh, US Air Force base near the airport here, and it just does a round of Iceland. So we've, we spoke about Optimus Prime, obviously, and how he's endured for these years, but there are, there are some toys in the original Transformers line which they don't quite get a fair shake, do they? When you, you're sort of looking at sort of Ironhide and Ratchet, and people still, to this day, come back to the fact they don't look like the cartoon, but... They're not intended to, and I think people sort of they lose that, don't they? That the toys aren't des- designed around the cartoon. The cartoon came after. That's true, and those two really are such distinctly Diaclone toys. But they're fantastic I, uh, toys, aren't they? That's what they are. As, as toys, and um, if you just add that little Diaclone pilot to Ironhide and Ratchet, absolutely everything on that toy makes sense. So. They've always been compared to the animation models without the actual heads. You know, they've got these windshield heads. But of course, behind that windshield is a tiny little seat where a little Diaclone driver will sit and control what is effectively a powered suit. And this powered suit can then sit in front of this bay and have a little base mode where it's got a rocket launcher. And inside there, you can also place Diaclone drivers. So this toy had a really nice car mode. It was die-cast with rubber wheels. It had a powered suit mode, which interacted with the driver in two modes as a driver and a powered suit activator, had a base mode with a firing rocket integrated into it. That's a lot of toy for what is effectively a G1 car. I mean, it's probably the best G1 car if you think about what it actually does as a toy. So, Yeah, I think 
I think it's super interesting. I again, someone online I saw recently was talking about you know the, the younger fan talking about how G one toys from their perspective are a bit rubbish at times, and Ironhide was kind of the the poster boy of that. Do you know what I mean? It was the one that they'd chosen to use, and I thought it was really interesting because I can understand that perspective of like if you didn't grow up with it, you know, looking back. And and you know, if, particularly if all you've ever seen is pictures of it on Tinternet, you know what I mean? That you've just looked at it, it doesn't even have a head or whatever else. You're gonna think that it looks a bit, a bit rubbish, maybe. A and bit that, pants. that's what I thought as a kid as well. I, I might have this nerdy opinion of Diaclone and Ironhide and Ratchet now, but that that is the reason I continuously walked past those toys in Toys R Us and didn't buy them. I imagine all of us had that same moment, didn't we? The first time we saw those toys is you sort of put them to the back and then look to see if there's another one that's actually got the head. Because that's, that's how <laughs> I remember it as a kid. Did, did you ask your nan to go around the back again no. and say, have you got the one with the head? <laughs> that is legitimately what happened. It's when I got it for the first time. <laughs> I opened it and I was like, the head's missing, so she took it back. <laughs> Headless toys are a fairly common occurrence in my house growing up. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it would have been okay, I think. <laughs> Uh, but, this is the wrong, this is the wrong podcast to criticize Ironhide and Ratchet on, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think, but I do think I think it's interesting. You said they weren't given a fair shake, and I think that's true. I think they're not given a fair shake now. Looking back, you know, like modern uh, collectors, fans, whatever, don't give them a, a fair shake. But I think also at the time, probably when when they were released, uh, you know, as you said, Maz, they kind of do lose a little bit of the functionality without the pilot and, and whatever else. So, but they're still good toys so it, you know it doesn't none of this none of this criticism detracts from it i think it's interesting though now that people look at them through the kind of modern lens if you like of what's important and that is you know screen accuracy and they definitely don't have that articulation well they've got minimal but some uh you know they've got but, quite good arm articulation actually haven't they, they can the arms, point the arms, their are arms inwards from yeah. the from the shoulder and elbow, like most G one toys can't. So the arms are good. It's definitely the the lack of heads that is the mm-hmm. thing that that really kind of kills it. And again, it's just through the lens of that them not not looking like what people imagine the characters should look like. Which you know now, if if as we sort of said earlier, you know people hold up screen caps and if things are slightly off, you know the proportions or whatever, it's like a big deal. But then it just I don't know. It wasn't so bad. It wasn't such a big thing. But that is the perspective, though, isn't it? With these things, is that yeah. it is. If you divorce it from the Transformers fiction, those are fantastic toys, mm-hmm. and that's how they started out. And it's kind of, I don't know. They kind of look back on. Imagine this. Imagine those those two characters weren't transplanted into Transformers, and we got the entire 1984, 1985 Autobot car range missing. Diaclone and Ratchet, the van mold. I can just totally see those being hugely desirable toys the way that the unproduced triple changer for for Transformers is is seen and just all the things that were in Diaclone of the oh, same ho- line. Horse jet? You talking about <laughs> not, horse jet? Not the magnificent <laughs> horse jet, no, but the, the third Diaclone triple changer. I know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The plane helicopter. The, yeah, yeah, the helicopter, yeah. Can you imagine if the, um, those two vans didn't get made for transformers because they just didn't translate into sentient robots and just how desirable they would be as they they would be they definitely would be they would take on a whole new status they wouldn't be the kind of laughing stock of of the line as it were do you know what i mean they would be you know heralded as like oh well we never got this and Mm -hmm. but also you would have lost two fantastic characters you wouldn't have had right ironhide you know wouldn't have had him and and ratchet as well and comics ratchet yeah yeah, well, yeah, it was a, a huge influence. And then, you know, thinking forward to 2007, you wouldn't have... Those are two characters that made it into Correct. the film. You know, so that tells you 
everything really about the kind of legacy of some of these toys and, and everything else and that the story is not straightforward it's like oh that looks like a rubbish toy and you know whatever it's it, it doesn't work like that you know sometimes these things are superseded or, or whatever else uh and it's actually interesting you mentioned the comic because in the very very early particularly in a lot of the uk stories a lot of the character depictions did look more like the toys you know there's there's various issues there's the um i think it's the enemy within with brawn who looks exactly like he does as a toy just you know brought to life and it's it's cool to see it's very kind of uh, retro yeah it's <laughs> the old clamps yeah it's almost kind of like a lobster i don't know it's yeah. uh, interesting uh imagining that, that's a foreshadowing for anyone listening yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, we'll, we'll call back almost to that the, rock, minute, the yeah. rock lobster. I'll be almost there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we don't talk about lobsters enough on this podcast. <laughs> so I know you guys like to bring up lobsters every episode, but if we just move aside from that for just a second, if you imagine in the cartoon, if Iron Iron Ratchet were depicted as those kind of powered suits without uh, without the heads, if they weren't anthropomorphized. <laughs> <laughs> and through morphopocyte someone say it <laughs> are we growing are we nilly bomb <laughs> <laughs> very good oh dear I think Maz is having a stroke thought- <laughs> 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 oh damn it I, was just, I swear I had it that time as well you just have to go and say that I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Made I, to look I, like humans <laughs> is what I was trying to say yes go with that <laughs> Can I try it one more time? Anthropomorphized. Anthropomorphized. No, no, I had it. Okay. But if they weren't shown like that in the cartoon and just, you know, the toys would make a lot more sense, but the detractor would always be that ridiculous head sticker that they got with Transformers. And I think that would always stop you taking it seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the stickers definitely hurt them i think a lot those little seat stickers little face i think it in a way would have been better without it just to to have nothing i don't know I, it's hard to say really isn't it like it's obviously a bit there's a position isn't it i was yeah, just gonna yeah, say yeah. that's one of the reasons i like the face i'm actually quite a fan of the sticker because it reminds me of the little screen from pole position uh, if you guys presumably i'm sure you have seen the upgrade kit that you can get for g1 ironhide and ratchet you know the I little, have it. The little i really heads. dislike it i, I really i'm not keen it. i'm no. not keen the Transformers will return after these messages. It's funny to talk about 84 because there's so many toys that you're just not going to give a fair amount of airtime to. For example, we've barely spent any time talking about the Seeker Jets, you know, Starscream, Skywarp, and Thundercracker as toys and about... The strike you know, planes. Yeah. yeah, the Decepticon strike planes, of course, yes. So many, so many parts, you know, so many accessories, so easy to lose. The hands, the, the wings, the fins, the landing gear just literally the launches just totally stripped the toy of all of its functionality but they look so good and i always loved that mold and i come across people who just they experience it for the first time as an adult and they just don't understand the attraction of that toy but it was you know top of my list i bought four of those as a kid i I asked for it four times dirge thrust thundercracker starscream and i would have had ramjet and skywarp if i'd had the opportunity as well yeah, I, I like it. It is quite a funny thing when you see it stripped down to its actual bare body. Do you know what I mean? With no wings, no hands, no guns, anything. It's kind of it's kind of a funny little thing. So I chewed the nose cone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a cool. Or the thing. afterburners trying to get them off. Yeah. yeah. But the actual the actual nose cone flip, the transformation is super cool. It's like it you know, and it, it's been replicated on more modern toys since. But it's still 
one of those that in many ways was done to perfection from from the get-go it's really really interesting do, do i mean maybe you want to say what are some of our favorite 1984 toys i would definitely say Soundwave, like f- for sure i mean so i um i may have mentioned this story before so i'll keep it brief but i you know i um first got a Soundwave when i was a teenager my my late uncle took me to toy fair in um birmingham nec and uh you know it's like a, a big kind of dealer hall and whatever else and uh first time scouring the dealer hall so it was a big uh you know very memorable experience and i remember seeing this boxed sound wave you know just high up high on one of the shelves and uh it just immediately caught my attention of course it was a toy i never knew as a kid never knew anybody that had it as a kid never seen it in hand so it was a real thrill and i just remember sitting uh in my uncle's house and just kind of opening this thing and just for the first time getting to experience the play pattern of you know buzzsaw and and you know putting him in and opening the cassette drawer and the batteries that turn into the guns and i just loved all of that it just is i think superb it's it's such a handsome toy i think it's one that actually you know even with like the walmart reissue and whatever else you know you could give it to a toy you could sorry you could give it to a, a child today and it would be just as impactful and just as uh as as good you know even though it's a kind of weird vintage throwback to like an 80s you know walkman or whatever tape deck you know you you could still give it to a kid now and they would have fun with it i think even though they'd have no idea what it turns into (laughs) well yeah yeah, there's a bit of that i suppose isn't there so how do you get netflix on this or whatever i don't know (laughs) uh or the youtube i don't know but it's uh, it's still it's still a lot of fun so that's definitely one for me for sure uh i guess in terms of autobots uh some of my i mean i do love a lot of the cars uh you know jazz is definitely a favorite of mine for sure uh even though it's you know absolute bugger to kind of you know keep not broken and whatever else mm. but it's a definite favorite of mine uh and i really love wind charger actually as well and cliff jumper those two i think if i was to pick two autobots that i love from 84 it would be that, perhaps those two wind charger and cliff jumper i just think are really uh, small but lovely beautiful examples uh, my g1 cliff jumper is just perfection to me Good choices. Thank you. I think um, it was. It's really hard for me to pick one from 1984. I'm sorry. There are a, there are a few that sort of stand out. I love the jets. My first ever transform was Starscream. I mean, I have so many jets, so many different versions of it through the years, so many variants. I was beyond thrilled when we finally got a new colored jet, which was you know. And, and I don't really count the clear star scream and the black star scream. They were quite close to what we already had. But Sunstorm was a major, like, wow, this is this wonderful toy from my history in this brand new color. And I loved Sunstorm. I still do. And I just wish we had more of those. I, I'm, I'm here yeah. all day for different colors of G1 jets in, in that mold. But also, you know, I, that was my childhood love was star scream in the cartoon. You know, later on, it was Mirage, and I love Formula One. I love race cars, and I love Mirage as a character. Invisibility, and it's a really fun toy, really beautiful toy when it's nice with all the chrome on show, beautiful colors. I think depending on what year you ask me this question, I'm always going to give you a different answer. But um, I think now, today, the 1984 toy that stands out for me the most is Sunstreaker. The way he looks in car mode, the way he looks in robot mode with that Sphinx-style head of his and all that yellow. and uh, I am shocked. I'm absolutely shocked that you said Sunstreak. Yeah, I was not expecting that. I I don't know what to say now. I love that. Like I said, it probably depends on the year you ask me. (laughs) 
I love that. That's I put on in this book where I wrote down this question and I put Miles next to it, I put Sunstreaker and then underneath in brackets it says Red Sunstreaker. <laughs> yeah, no, I kind of... It's the yellow one for me. I, I kind of so made a, a mental note to not talk about Sunstreaker too much because I figured that actually yeah. I needed to counterbalance some of what Maz was going to be saying. <laughs> this, uh... That's a future show where Maz just talks about it on his own, isn't it? For... Yeah, what? definitely. How um, how incorrect an image of myself do I have that I actually thought you guys would be surprised <laughs> when I said Sunstreak instead of Mirage? He says no, the wall of Sunstreak is behind him. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, you, you've had a bit of a quest to find a sort of perfect Sunstreaker, haven't you? So. Yes, and it's actually taking longer to find a perfect Mirage that I can afford. That's uh, proving more difficult because of discoloration and chrome wear and the sticker wear on that 26 sticker on his nose is really tough. But uh, I have other associations with Mirage that I love. Like my Justra Diaclone Mirage is, is an extraordinarily special piece to me. So it's just 84 is a year. It's just like choosing between children. There are so many fabulous toys for so many reasons. I love them. Your turn, Liam. Oh, yeah. yeah. So now I've had some chance to think about it. I think I'd be quite hard-pressed to not pick anything other than Optimus Prime, but we spoke about him quite a bit. But it is just, it's a toy that even now when I still pick it up, I feel that weight to it. Not, not like... It's heaviness. It's just sort of more like a nostalgic vibe to it. There's something special. I yeah. still feel like that. No matter how often I pick it up or take photos of it, it still feels like something completely special. But other than that, I'd probably look at something like, like Sideswipe because, you know, it's such an iconic transformer. And it, again, yeah. it's another one which it's so simple when you pick it up and transform it. It's not that far from a minibot, is it really? No, they're small. Fair. Small yeah, but even, even like the steps, it is just pull the arms out, extend the legs. That's, that's most of it, isn't it? And flip the bonnet. It's a but, big um, spy changer. Yeah. That's that's another toy that's been done beautifully since. You know, it's been yeah. like obviously the G2 version really kind of, you know, for me springs to mind. Uh, you know, and then obviously you, you've had various e-hobby kind of it takes on Diaclone versions as well. But I think it's just one that bears repeating, you know, in different color schemes and whatever else. A bit like Optimus mm-hmm. in that regard. You know, it's a kind of classic mold. There are certain toys, isn't it? We were talking about how, 84 just sort of you know it carries on but there are certain toys that have endured over the years aren't there certain characters and designs like sideswipe pops up in a lot of the new series and it's he might not be a lamborghini but he's something that looks like a lamborghini isn't he it's very similar they right they always sort of lean back to that don't they he's he's kind of endured like that and we were talking yeah. earlier about how siege sideswipe is a good example yeah that's another one so but he was also in um was it robots in disguise where he's yes that's right yeah so but we were talking earlier about how you know, we remember getting certain toys, and I can actually remember the exact day, the date I got Sideswipe. It was July 21st, 1986. Wow. Wow. And I only remember it because I remember my, my grandma was taking me somewhere. Yep. Taking, me, taking me to the hospital. <laughs> there we go. Oh. No, nothing. Was... Well, it was sad now, I suppose. But um, I was, she was going, we were going to visit my mum, and my, my brother had just been born. And I remember walking in, and my mum's there like, oh, here's your little brother. And I'm like, completely like oblivious going, Look, I've got this car. It's a Lamborghini that turns into a robot. This is amazing. <laughs> and you wonder why he stamped on your Transformers later. <laughs> yeah, yeah he held it, this in from birth. <laughs> we're getting the we're getting the full story now, aren't we? Because I was totally on Liam's side before, and now I'm like, okay, I've heard the brother's perspective, and I'm kind of thinking this is the Jerry Springer hmm. episode, isn't it? This is where, amazing. Where but um, yeah. I remember, I remember saying to her like, I was showing her this toy, and she's like, well, yeah, but what about your brother? And I'm like, and I'm like looking at it, going, no, I don't think you understand here. This this car is into a <laughs> robot, and it's amazing. And she's she's going, yeah, but your little brother. And then I'm like, 
mom, is this why we're poor? Because you uh, you prioritize little children over this toy. Look, it's a, you're not getting this concept here. And it's this memory. My mom still remembers this. Was so, it your first Transformer then, Sideswipe? No, no, no. This is this was this would have been eighty six because. And right now, I'm realistic going. That's not even my birthday. But um, yeah, <laughs> it was it was it was quite a lot later. But I remember it was when I finally got Sideswipe. So he must have been released again sort of later on or been available uh, just, later on yeah later assortments i mean we see pictures of toy aisles every now and then and we see toys on shelves that sh- in our minds we just assume that they were removed from shelves for the next wave but no, no they weren't yeah i mean optimus prime was still available in 1986 and not just the movie certificate version that was you know a mail away but i mean starscream was available in 1986 still in the uk I think it's it's another thing about that toy line that's hard to imagine now because stuff just moves on so quickly. You know, I mean, particularly particularly at the moment, you know, like uh, you know, with Kingdom and a lot of the generation stuff. If you miss that half hour window after the pre order goes live, you, you've had it. You know, yeah. I mean, it's gone, and then it's like aftermarket prices and you know all of that kind of junk. But um, you know, it was different back then because some toys would sit on shelves for three or four years more. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? It would. It, it wasn't that just yeah. because you missed it, it was gone. It was still available and, and kind of out there. It might be you know less common, but still still around. And the way they were released was different, wasn't it? Like now we're so conditioned to waves, aren't we? We get a yeah. wave of several toys and then it moves on to the next one and so on. But back then it wasn't. It was they pretty much just dumped most of the toys in one go, didn't they? And then they were on shelves for the year. There were case assortments, obviously. You know, some case assortments had more of one character than another. I mean, that's kind of why Skids got so screwed. Yeah. You know, he was in a later case assortment for 1984, and anything that was in the 1984 case assortment was probably automatically pared down a little bit for the 85 case assortments. And so they would have looked at Skids and seen, well, he was in an 84 assortment. Let's let's short pack him for 85. So he got shortchanged in two years. But, you know, I was... I only learned this recently, actually. It was just fascinating to see that this was kind of the reason why Skids was considered yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so rare I, for so long. I, I find it really interesting. And then consequently, I think it, it was said that that short packing for for the 1985 wave was that they didn't then, they kind of overlooked him for the show Bible for the cartoon. And that's why he's only in two episodes. And, you know, it doesn't really feature in the comic that much as well. Do you know what I mean? And apart from his one infamous car washing kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, appearance. But, um, but it is really interesting how it kind of fell through the cracks, if anything, and you know how that has kind of led to the toy being a bit overshadowed, if anything, even though it's a really, really great toy. And we're talking about toys which had features removed for Transformers. I mean, that toy having its scooter taken out for Transformers, oh, it's just That's harsh. a travesty, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, it's mad that you would do that. But I guess it's, you know, one of those, isn't it? That it just kind of... Uh, they look to kind of streamline them or whatever. It's uh, unfortunate, though. So uh, so I have a question, and it's kind of a, a random one, uh, but it's just something I was thinking about as we were kind of, as I, as I was putting some notes together for, for this episode, and it suddenly occurred to me that there's a lot of, obviously, particularly now with, you know, a lot of the, the kind of character rosters for modern toys being centered around G1, uh, you know, the, the 1984 wave, you know, you're always going to have, as we said, like a Sideswipe, an Optimus, whatever. Uh, but there are characters that have since become kind of staple parts of the franchise, you know, and then maybe they come and go a little bit. But, you know, I'm thinking of, I'm going to give you one example for, for me, uh, but like Bulkhead, for example, you know, not so much right now, but for for a long time was kind of popping up. Even in the movies, you know, where you had Hound, it was quite clearly like a 
that was a kind of a bulkhead mm-hmm. archetype. Do you know what I mean? And uh, I don't know. I guess I thought it was it would be interesting if you could kind of go back and redo the 1984 wave with some of those newer classic characters almost inserted into uh, the original fiction and even the toy line or, or whatever else. I think it would be kind of interesting to see almost like a G1 take on some of those newer characters. Does that sort of make sense of what I'm saying? Yeah, and sure. uh, so, I, so I guess one for me was definitely Bulkhead. Uh, I also thought of like the Turbo Masters. I know it sounds a bit mad because they're not really like staple characters, but there's something about the Turbo Masters for me as toys that kind of reminds me a bit of 1984 in some way. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? The, the kind of the look and feel of the cars a little bit, even though they're not that realistic. I would almost love to see ultra realistic diecast versions, you know, to kind of fit in along like Sideswipe and Sunstreaker of like Boss and Scorch and stuff like that. I think that would be really, really beautiful to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you guys? I think I'd probably pick Knockout from Transformers Prime. Oh, nice! It's because interesting one. There's so much about it in that it's so similar to me to G1. Like it's sports car mode. It feels like an Autobot car. It's got that very same similar aesthetic, and you can see it transferring across. He's got this just this, it's just something about him that feels a very like a throwback to that time. But also his personality in the show. He's got all the same sort of idiosyncrasies you would sort of see in the G1 character profiles. Like, it's very quick. You look at him and straight away, it's he's vain. And that's pretty much his character. And he's yeah, very yeah. self-serving. And everything just goes from there. There's not, they don't try to go too deep into it. It's just very much what you would see in a, a G1 bio or a cartoon. And so I think he'd fit really well into that opening toy line, even if he is a Decepticon and they don't do cars at that time. No, that's a good one. Mez? Uh I would love to see G1 Jazz repainted orange as bisque yeah i knew it was gonna be bisque i knew i actually do you know what i'm not even joking on my notes it says maz will mention bisque probably do you know what i mean it's just i just knew it was gonna come up i was just looking at this three changer and was like he does look very jazzy so jazz would be a perfect fit for him but also uh, with a with a locked go on i was gonna say with a lobster head though yeah of course so g1 jazz toy in orange with a lobster head nailed it Someone now, we have to find someone to make that custom. I'll even take the artwork. Is what I'm saying. Also, Lockdown might be super cool as a black sunstreaker, you know, with slightly tinted windows. Yeah, that could be really nice. So you're actually thinking of like which toys could be those new characters. That's interesting. I think so, yeah. There is Mm. one, isn't there? There is one good example of this, which is Barricade, isn't it? Right, who has done as a sort, sort of, of been retrofit back into sort of vintage sort of. Well, it was actually that. It was actually kind of that that got me thinking on it. To be honest, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean, with the with the 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 newer version, you know, of the Datsuns and being turned into kind of a, a classic quasi G one barricade, and I just thought that that was so cool what they'd done with him. And you look at that barricade now, that design, uh, and it could just be proper g1 you know it could just slot right in and i guess that was kind of what we got me set on this kind of thinking of like hang on you know if you could just redo it all and like insert some characters that's the perfect way to do it you know what i mean uh and the the decepticon mirage that's in siege or whatever as well i think is super cool i don't know what its name is um but you know the the purple is it just purple it's just mirage yeah isn't it isn't it farage (laughs) maybe uh but yeah no i thought that was a really cool design as well (laughs) I'm not touching Sorry. that one. <laughs> I'm not going there. You, you'll do vote man in pig, but you won't touch that one. <laughs> I'm not going near that as a topic today. Uh, don't get me started. Do not get me started. That's all I'll say. But no, I thought that that 
that that purple mirage was <laughs> was very cool, and it would be great to see the G one toy again. Would be beautiful to see done in those colours for sure. What well, wasn't the third party Dino who was basically Mirage called Farage? He was, yeah. It's called Farage. Yeah, I think it was F I R A G E, but yeah, still, yeah. yes, F- Farage. Yes, yeah. Unfortunate. <laughs> uh, just on this subject of retconning characters into into G one with G one bodies, did anyone see uh, Guido Gidi's artwork of? Doing, you know, he did. I think it was Barricade as a Datsun. He did the Barricade. And, yeah, he think, did the Barricade. Was it Drift as Springer? Yeah, uh, they they were so lovely. So yeah, he does some amazing stuff. That there. Yeah. Well, the other one, I guess, is Windblade, which of course mm-hmm. has become, uh, you know, a staple, hasn't hasn't mm-hmm. she? You know, that's like a staple character now, along alongside a lot of them. And uh, I don't know, I don't know where that would slot in. Thrust in a G- Yeah, <laughs> See probably in, serious yeah. thrust. Yeah, I guess it would have to be the Seeker mold, wouldn't it? But done mm. as an Autobot. Uh, I said it. I'm amazed nobody has done it. Unless they haven't, I've never seen it. I, I really want to. We we need we need to talk to to Rock Lords Rock. You know, we need to talk from uh, from Toyfu. You know, we we need to talk to him and uh, and get some right. get some of these customs in his brain because I'm sure. Uh, if he's not listening already, maybe he's not. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure once he hears some of these ideas. Uh, having having kind of seen firsthand how some of these ideas take hold a little bit uh, in his creative process, I'm pretty sure he'll be thinking to give them a go, which will be quite interesting to see. We now return to the Transformers. We're all quite older fans, so we grew up with these toys. But if the newer fans coming in, who are maybe a lot younger than us, and are looking back at 1984 for the first time, what about toys? a lot younger? Maybe just younger, <laughs> like a lot younger, like <laughs> just just they, yeah, they're younger, they're younger. That's fine, but a lot younger, Mild, mildly less aged. Yes, exactly. Not quite as seasoned, you might say. That's all. So, well, I had someone on Twitter the other day telling me how they were like born in two thousand and two, and they are now legal to drink alcohol. Yeah. Cool. Moving on. Like, that feels like last week, 2002. Moving <laughs> on. <laughs> Are yeah. we all collecting our pension after this? Is that what, is that what oh, we're all yeah. doing? Oh, yeah, God. I need to go and take a nap. <laughs> so for younger people looking back at 1984 for the first time, what toys would you recommend as an ideal starting point? Something to that sort of demonstrates how good that line is. Sixo? Uh, I'd probably... It's a really tough one because... I mean, not Ironhide. Let's be clear, right? Like, you know, for for as much as I will defend that toy, it's it's clearly not the one that's going to win people over. So it's got to be something other than that. I guess you're going to want something that is kind of cartoon accurate. Do you know what I mean? Or, or looks like what people kind of imagine that character does, you know, in their sort of mind's eye or whatever. Uh, I think. Um, I mean, again, maybe Soundwave is a good place, kind of good jumping on point. You know, just for the kind of uh, the play value and whatever else. Even though it does have that kind of retro alt mode to it so i think that's probably a good place to start um maybe something like prowl as well because i feel like the you know the kind of design of prowl hasn't updated too much and it's still a really really nice toy you know it's fairly kind of it's a police car you know (laughs) so yeah that that might be a good one i guess i think uh yeah for me it would be almost always optimus prime would be the one that i would recommend because of the play value because of the the way it looks it's another one like prowl that sixo mentions hasn't really altered a lot in what the vision of Prime is. A red truck with a with a grey trailer, which turns into a base, lots of features, lots of play. 
in a way, it's almost setting them up to maybe not be as impressed with some of the other things that G1 has to offer. You know, would they ever be satisfied with a with the Bumblebee Minibot if Optimus Prime was the first G1 Transformer they experienced? But also, maybe a slightly controversial choice would be Megatron because Megatron is so of its time. It's so it's so G1 and so yeah. vintage 80s toy that it would really make them understand what the toys of that era were like and uh, what it is about them that has endured. Well, not a lot of Megatrons have endured, just, you know, <laughs> regrettably. It's very but unique, Megat- isn't it? Yeah. Megatron is kind of almost like a like a... I want to say like a watershed or something. It's kind of like if you can get past this and accept it for what it is, then you're in G1. You know, you're you're, you're cool with it. You know, it's, you're in it's, the club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not that there's any, you know, not that there's any criteria, but it's just you, you've got to kind of love designs like Megatron to really kind of get on board, I suppose, don't you? And I, I do love Megatron. It's a toy, especially the reissue, uh, one of the reissues from eHobby, a toy that I can pick up and repeatedly transform and enjoy. Yeah. I love how it compacts together into not necessarily I'm not enthusiastic about firearms, but I really respect how well it achieves what it's set out to do, which yeah. is a compact firearm, which is a lot more weighty than it has any right to be. And then it turns into a robot, which is not particularly screen accurate. But, you know, with the vintage Megatron, the legs were not ratcheted the same way the reissue ones are. So you could actually close the legs to the point where it doesn't look like he has the widest hips of any robot but they actually do stand quite slim and he looks reasonably well proportioned and i've always really liked that toy and i like megatron toy generally and how it transforms and i do enjoy playing with the reissue one that i have so i have i have multiple you know like you i have multiple of the reissues you know the black version or whatever as well i actually really don't mind the ratcheted hips i kind of like it i mean yes he does look a bit like he couldn't stop a pig in an alleyway but still it's not a bad thing at all like it just you know it <laughs> it really it really works for me i i don't mind it i think there is a kind of a way of positioning it that it looks all right. I just can't get past that image now. That's that's all I can see. Uh, that's, well, it's frozen me. I feel like I need it's to. It's just a pig running into Megatron's <laughs> trigger. Have I, ru- have I ruined that? <laughs> ruined that toy for you now? Really. That's incredible. This is a but I, but do, I, I think there is a way of posing it, even with the the kind of harsher ratchets or whatever, that it looks okay. Do you know what I mean? But it's still a wonderful toy. Uh, the Megaplex version I adore as well. You know, with yep. the blue, the blue inner legs. I just think is perfection. Yeah, Lovely. you wouldn't think that that toy without chrome would be as impressive, but it really is. It's a really yeah. lovely version. I I also do love and i know you weren't so keen maz but i love the is it the chronicle version you know which is actually the original red you know the g1 uh classic megatron color scheme but with with just you know plastic gray plastic not with yeah. chrome I, I have that one and i like that one as well i it's love the as- colors because it, it's that's what goodbye megatron looked like it was the yeah. gray with the red inner legs but that was the first occasion i ever experienced the ratcheted legs and i realized i couldn't pose in the way i posed my vintage megatron so that right. was a disappointment that's what i've attached to it but if i were to own it again i you know i'd manage those expectations but that is a nice looking version agreed yeah i think i think i have the four of them i have the the original reissue the the chronicle one with the with the flat you know with the flat plastic without the chrome i have the megaplex and the black one i think and and all four of them are stunning i think yeah I think I'd probably pick Jazz of all of them. I think it's a very quick and easy demonstration of what that toy line is. It's a sports car, turns into a robot very quickly, the standard car transformation. It's also, it's got all the, you know, the real deco as well, hasn't it? 
mm-hmm. which they which they didn't license. They just used, didn't they, without asking? Correct. Which I've always found fantastic, and I think that's such a striking element of those first couple of years of Transformers cars, where they've got those real details, sort of mm. like smokescreen with all of his racing livery, livery and stuff on. I just think right. it's even if a... it is, uh, even if it is Martini, <laughs> Martini, Martini. Is that not what the uh, Ewoks say? Not the Ewoks. What they the the Jawas? Is it not Martini? <laughs> Ma- maybe. <laughs> Did they collect Transformers? I don't know. They had a lot in their little uh, sand scroller, didn't they? Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, Jazz is a good shout. I just wanted to know, do you both, do either of you think that 1984 sort of overshadows Transformers now a little bit? Because every version of Transformers now, since sort of post the Unicron trilogy, sort of recently, I suppose more recently, isn't it? It all reverts back to 84, doesn't it? More than we've ever had in the past. Because it kind of broke away from G1 for a bit, didn't it? And then now everything seems to have circled back. You've got Masterpiece, Siege, Kingdom. It's all very... I don't know. Transformers has returned, hasn't it, to a sort of almost like an iconic state. If that does that make sense? I know what you mean. And uh, I think when new toy lines do those same characters again, there's definitely very little interest for me. I got really interested in Generations again when we had Titans Return, and we yeah. had more 1987, 1988. That definitely got my attention. And now with Studio Series, it's the focus on 1986 which has really got my attention again. Um, but I have not felt any desire to pick up any Generations versions of uh, Sunstreaker or Wheeljack or or even Optimus Prime or the Jets, especially is a strange one for me because I, I would have imagined I would have been really drawn to to maybe a Tetrajet or something like that. But it's not a requirement for me. I, I've deeply enjoyed Transformers Animated. Uh, for a while there, I, I was really into the Bayformers as well. So it's not a requirement for me, definitely, that Transformers constantly refers back to 1984. Yeah, same for me, to be completely honest. I mean, uh, it was funny, actually, because someone um, just, I think, yesterday or the day before, you know, I got a comment on one platform just saying that uh, this this person, and, you know, fair enough, but they, they thought that we wanted, that, they, that we needed, I should say, a fourth masterpiece Optimus Prime, Generation 1 Optimus Prime. And and honestly, I kind of threw up in my mouth a little bit at the prospect of it, because as much as I do love the three versions of that character that. that we've had in, in Masterpiece form so far, I love all three of them. Do you know what I mean? I, I genuinely do, yeah. particularly uh, maybe the second one. But uh, it's, yeah, God, just, you don't have to keep redoing those same characters, no. I think. I and and a bit, yeah. Yeah, a bit, a bit like you said, Maz, I think if it, it's kind of it'll be interesting to see what happens after War for Cybertron now, what they go on to. I think if they come back to doing classic Optimus Prime and Prowl and all of those guys, I think a lot of people would be a bit uh turned off by it, frankly. Yeah, I, think I mean how many primes would they have if they were keeping up with all the primes, how many would they have bought in the last three years? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's only I bought a lot, can confirm. <laughs> yeah. Well this is it. And uh, I think, you know, G1 has its place and it's nice that they do come back to it occasionally and kind of give it the nod. I can understand why people get a bit, you know, feel like it's a bit oversaturated at times as well. Do you know what I mean? And I I think like you said, Maz, it's it's not even that it needs to move away from G1 wholeheartedly. It's just that actually 
there's a lot of G1 that hasn't been re-explored, you know, and, and that they could do different stuff. You know, for a while it was Headmasters and that was cool. But, you know, there's even later stuff. I mean, there's Pretenders only got a brief nod, you know what I mean? So the, there's a lot out there that could be mm. inspiration. Uh, you know, you've had modern versions of stuff like Punch Counter Punch, which was really well received. So that was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are doing some of that now. So that's cool. But I think it'll be interesting to see where they move to next. I think if they just go back to doing that initial 1984 characters again, yeah, I think it'll. I think it'll be a bit of a kick in the teeth for people. It, it does feel like that, doesn't it? It's not not just in generations and sort of collectivized. Even in sort of like the evergreen toy lines that they chuck out, the very cheap ones, they're all very sort of nineteen eighty four based. And then you've got like Cyberverse. The whole cartoon is very sort of again generation one styled, isn't it? And it's they sort of stopped where we had like car robots in what was it uh, the Unicron trilogy and Prime and things like that. They've kind of just reverted to an almost default mindset of very generation one inspired characters. Yeah, I think I think the Unicron trilogy. It's good that you mentioned it because I think that is up for focus at some point. For sure, it must be right. Like, a, I mean, the fact that they, we've already seen a, a Generations Armada Prime teased. I think a lot of people are, are waiting on that. Obviously, we had you the know, Galaxy right? upgrade one, didn't we? The yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So you know, there's there's clearly some thought about it behind the scenes. Uh, you know, whether it'll be a full line or it'll be mixed in with something else, I'm sure they're working on something. Um, but I think that would be. I kind of feel like if they don't do that at some point, there might be writing in the streets from some of the younger fans. Do you know what I mean? That are kind of like, that's what they want to see now. And, um, uh, you know, I'm sure not everybody, but certainly a lot of people. And uh, I think it, it'll it be fascinating to see what they do do with it for sure. But I think, yeah, it'll be good to, to kind of mix it up a bit. That does it for episode three of the Triple Takeover podcast. We hope you've had as much fun listening as we've had talking about DJ Cat and Sixo's imaginary robot butler. <laughs> Not really a thing, by the way. Just to kind of clarify, sorry to destroy, you know, any kind of aspirations people might have about my private life, but no robot butler. Don't listen to no. him. It's totally it's, real. It's not a robot. <laughs> <laughs> it's Optimus Prime in white gloves. <laughs> so, yeah, but thank you for listening and thank you for all your support on social media. It's been quite fantastic, hasn't it? Or the engagement we've had. And we recently passed 500 followers on our Twitter page, which you can, you know, follow if you don't already. Sixo, where can people find you? Uh, well, I'm on YouTube, I'm on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, uh, all at 6OTF, S-I-X-O-T-F, and that's on all those platforms. Maz? I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at TF Square One. Okay, and you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all under Toybox Toybox. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook, where we have our own Triple Takeover pages. And you can see there for all the latest news on the podcast and Sixo's delightful memes. Mmm, good memes. So, yeah, so thank you for listening. It's been nice to see you. To see you nice. Nice.